Well, hello and welcome to our latest, most fun, cool episode of Third Degree Burn. My name is Brian Hughes, and with me by my side, metaphorically, is Tim Elliott. Say hi, Tim. Hello. And I'll say hello, hello. Today we're going to cover Action Comics 595. Now, this is a team-up of... Oh, I can't tell them, can I? Don't spoil it. That would be a spoiler, wouldn't it? All right, but this will be the first appearance of the character of the Silver Banshee. And uh, if I remember right, and uh, spoiler, Superman dies, doesn't he? Well, I think it says right there in the cover he's dead, so we'll have to read and find out. But it looks like Superman is dead. He's not dead yet. He's getting better. He's just mostly dead. He's <laughs> oh, been, only mostly dead. He's been mostly dead all day. Okay. Well, I, I guess, uh, well, you got anything new to talk about here? Uh... No, I I thought I'd bring up I because our last episode was Captain America. I've read the first issue of Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale's Captain America White. Oh yeah, have you read that or are you reading that? I have not read that. Um, the last you know, it, it, I got to go back a number of years looking at, at the things I bought. I remember um, of them of their stuff. I have the Long Halloween, and I've got um. The Superman for All Seasons. I think I got Spider Man, which is was that blue? That's blue. Yeah, I got Spider Man blue, and I've got Hulk gray, or yeah, it's Hulk Hulk's gray. gray and Daredevil's yellow. I don't have. Oh yeah, no, I do have Daredevil yellow. That's right, I do have that. But I actually haven't read that. And I know that that J. David Weider right now is wringing his hands, going, "Read it, read it, read it." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm going to have to sit down and read that. I, I want to go back through their stuff anyway because. When I first started reading, I guess, The Long Halloween, I, I lost interest in it at first. and But I really enjoyed Superman for all seasons. And I collected this stuff because I knew I was going to read it at some point, but I just had to get, a, a, I guess, to be in a better mood to read it or whatever. And I, I finally did go back and do Long Halloween a second time and enjoyed it much, much more, uh, you know, because it made me think back to the uh, Batman Year One and all the stuff that uh, Miller and Mazzuchelli had done in that. So Now, did you read Long Halloween in issue, single-issue form, or is one... Trade paperback. I actually, I actually had, had the trade paperback. I loaned it out to a friend up at work. It got stolen from him up at work, and he had to buy me a new one. So, yeah, I, I got the new one, and I said, you know, I'm going to sit down and read this again. Steals. I, I read it as a digital at work one day, and kind of skimmed it. I didn't really read read it. I skimmed it and kind of looked at the pictures. But I thought it was interesting. It's one of those stories you, you've, you've heard. You know, it's one of those stories that if you're in comics, you hear. It's just kind of up in the ether. It's like Watchmen or, well, I don't want to piss off people by talking about that. Right. It's just one of those stories you hear about. Like, oh, this is, it's, it's usually on a list of one of the better Batman stories. So uh, sales stuff with I uh, haven't read the Superman for all seasons. I've read his colored uh, series, which is the gray and the yellow and the red, uh, blue, and now this new Captain America white. Yeah, and I like his Jeff Loeb stuff. I liked his, I like his run on the Red Hulk a lot. I liked. Uh, I haven't read a bit of that. I mean, that's it, again, I, I have not read. I guess a lot of current comic books beyond the Burn Fanetti's, 
And, um, you know, I, I picked up a book here and there. Like, I tried to read, uh, and it's been about a year and a half since I tried to read it. It was either an issue of Action Comics or an issue of Superman. And coming into it, you know, it was the middle of a story, and it was very hard to understand exactly what was going on. And, of course, it was only, like, a, a few pages because there were so many splash pages. And I believe it was Superman fighting Orion, and they never really did explain why they were fighting. But it also looked like Superman was involved with a romance with Lana Lang, Wonder Woman, and Lois Lane. And I was just like, no, there's something, this isn't right. You this know? is New 52? Yeah. I want to say, yeah. I want to say, yeah. But I, I, it was like a year, year and a half ago. Yeah, that that's, that's, that. that's going to be New 52. I read, the, I collected them all, and then I read the first arc, or maybe the first 12 issues of Justice League with Johns and Jim Lee. Mm-hmm. And it was. It was light. I mean, the artwork's nice. I mean, I know people. Some people don't like Jim Lee. I, I like him. Yeah, okay. I, I don't dislike his art. Yeah, uh, I don't dislike yeah. it. Uh, I did. I did get uh, the Superman issues with uh, John Romita Jr. doing the artwork, and I just Ooh. thought that was a horrible story. And for for whatever reason, I, I know Romita can do his art differently than that. We've seen that in recently in, in you know Kickass. So I'm just like, what's going on here? Why is he going so loose on his pencils here? You know, with this, and that's I, just the style he wants to do it. I don't know. I I I, I was excited when he was moving, making that jump to DC because he's such a Marvel guy. Yeah. So I was kind of excited when he was going to go there and do Superman, but I I couldn't get past the artwork. I thought the artwork was just sloppy and loose and like he well, had. The story spending... itself doesn't. The story itself wasn't that good either. Yeah, I. I I, I, I see. I, I'm sure the story was no good, but I couldn't get past the artwork. But <laughs> maybe it's the Scott Rifen completist in me. Completist in me. I'm still buying the issues. Oh, artwork's bad, but I'm st- I'm still buying them. Yeah. So, so do you? Did you turn your TV on to Gunsmoke every night, even though you didn't watch it all those times? No. Or whatever they kept the show in the year for 20 years. <laughs> no, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm terrible about. I'm, I'm terrible about. Because a lot of times I get behind on reading, so I will buy, buy and buy and buy issues, and then you start reading like, Ugh, why did, why, why did I buy all these? Yeah, um, I do want to change subjects here for just a second. No, now yes, <laughs> <laughs> no, you haven't been watching Gotham this year. I have or not, you haven't I have, watched it since it started. I haven't watched any Gotham, and I got to recommend it. And I, I think. I've got something of a, of a theory here that I wanted to share, not just with you, but with anybody listening and see if anybody else has, has thought about this. And it, it actually goes back to answering a lot of questions over the last 75 years, Batman. And, you know, people always ask, how come the Batman never really killed the Joker? And as we're watching Gotham right now, they've, they've introduced a, a character that, He's got the Joker smile. He got the Joker laugh, and every now and then he tries to even throw in a little bit of Heath Ledger kind of Joker in there. Yeah. And the thing is, is that there's nothing that says that he definitely will be the Joker because we've already had another character last season, at least one character last season that also could have been the Joker. I mean, we know we've got our Penguin. It's Oswald Cobblepot. We know we've got our Riddler, Edward Nigma, and there are characters on the show, and they have their own story arcs and stuff going on. But they've got this other guy, Jerome, that, you know, my wife says, yeah, he's the Joker. And then I'm starting to think, maybe the Joker isn't 
really any one person on the show, at least any one person. But it's kind of like that Jack the Ripper from Star Trek, you know, Red, uh, not but Red Jack. Red Jack. Die, 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 everybody, die. <laughs> kill, kill, kill you all. Yeah, in that if the guy were to get killed, the Joker would just go on to someone else and be someone else. When you think about like the killing joke story that Alan Moore did, you know that you have one guy, the sad sack that was trying to be a comedian and his life was just going really, really bad. And he had a really bad day and he finally fell into the bat of acid as Batman was chasing him while he was wearing the red hood. And he comes out and his skin's bleached white and he's just, you know, he goes nuts and all of a sudden becomes a Joker. And I'm just like, well, couldn't that be also some like form of possession? It would also explain why the Joker has never been, his origin has never been cemented down to one story or another. It's always, you know, multiple tellings or whatever. People say it's due to his insanity. But if it was something like this, then you could see multiple origins for the Joker and also an explanation why the Joker's appearance has moderately changed throughout the years. You know, Dick Sprang appearance versus what you see in the, the 70s and 80s and, and even today. Um, so, you, so you posit that there is some type of spirit or energy being that is jumping from body to body that is or a demon yeah or a demon. That, that has possessed them and you know that's the the spirit of the joker that takes over and batman knows that if he were to kill the joker or allow anyone to kill the joker that the spirit would just go on to someone else someone else that's not in arkham asylum or prison or wherever they keep the joker and he's not going to know who or what or where or when He's going to come back. So you're saying you don't think this entity can make the leap unless the person, the unless body, the body has died. Right. Okay. So maybe Sam Beckett. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. I'm just sitting there throwing that out. But, you know, we look at the, the characters on Gotham, and it seems likely to me that, that you know, several of them are, are being hit by this, and they're all acting in similar fashion. And it's like the, the 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 spirit hasn't figured out who is taking over completely. Well, that's like the Denzel Washington film Fallen. Fallen. Yeah, Fallen. Yeah, that, that yeah. I'm sitting there trying to explain it to my wife, and that's that's the idea I kind of came up with in there. And it, it's again, it's just a writer's idea. But what better way to explain the Batman's inability or not even allowing anyone to kill the Joker? Well, I think the simplest question. Well, I I get two points. My counterpoint to yours is. What if instead of it being a demon or some type of entity, what if it's more like the Dread Pirate Roberts? It's a series of people right. that yeah. are either killing each other and, and taking and, and taking over, or one trains another one. You can be the Joker now. I'm going to retire, whatever, leave. Now you're the Joker, and, it, and that's your series of people. So that's what would explain different appearances, different attitudes, different uh, motives, different... Uh, yeah, because the Joker now is just a killer. I mean, he's a mass murderer now. Whereas in the past, his murderers were very discriminate. You know, they weren't indiscriminate. He, he did a lot of stuff that was just, you know, traps and tricks and what, you know, the game with the Batman. And now it's, you know, ever since the Joker's five-way revenge, it's been about murder. Now, of course, the five-way revenge, he was only killing people from his crew these were criminals these were bad guys killers some of them but 
you know, now the Joker kills just anyone for no reason at all. Well, it seems I haven't I haven't read enough Joker to to you know make a point here, but right. It seems that lately, it's before it seems that Joker was not insane. He was, you know, a, a criminal genius, and he would he was toying with Batman now, and I can't tell you with a point where this diverged. He is he's now honestly insane. Uh, the way I guess now. I guess you can sit there and throw that. I mean, it depends on how you look at it. You've got the the O'Neill stories from the sixties and seventies. That, you know, something he did with Neil Adams and of course he did with other people. And you've got, you know, I, I never read the, the Bray Fogel and I guess who, who's, who's doing the, the stories on that? Was that Grant? Oh, I can, I can tell you that. Stephen Grant and Norm Bray Fogel working together on, on those. I really didn't go for those because I was more of a Jim Aparo kind of art. So I got to read, you know, the Jim Starlin stuff that, um, Aparo did. Uh, you know, in the in the eighties and I really like that. And of course, you know, everybody read Miller and Mazzuchelli or you know, Miller and, and Jansen, which Dark Knight Returns and Batman Year One. And for those, you know, of course in, in the Dark Knight Returns the Joker was just an out and out nut, you know, just insane. That that seems to be the take on it. At least the yeah. that seems to be the take of I didn't read it, but when Scott Snyder was writing his story where the Joker gets his face peeled off whatever that storyline is, that seemed to me that was from somebody who was you know, clinically nuts. Right. Because as you go further and for, further into the myth, more and more writers are going to uh, read into the psychology of it and use a facet of the, that psychology to create their storyline. But each one of them is going to use whatever facet of psychology of insanity to support their story. And so you're going to get a lot of writers doing a lot of different things and dealing with a lot of different psychoses. So, you know, it's, it's never consistent. Well, that's, that's comics. That's, yeah. you know, you're going to get writer from writer to writer. A character is going to change uh, to varying degrees because each writer is going to put their little spin on it. And they don't want to do the same thing. The guy, you don't want to tell the same story over and over and over. So they right. don't want to, they're always going to, it's always going to change. Unlike, say, a TV show where I think things are kept a little more stable, where you're, you know, this is this is how this character acts. This is what they would do. Uh, when you get our comics, then writers and artists are allowed to do. They have a little more free hand in what they want to do. But yeah, well, I mean, even with TV and and with movies, you know, the the writers the writers cross their fences a lot when they sit there and and decide, okay, I've got to have this character do this so that this chain of events happens. And, you know, they're not like J. Michael Straczynski, who, you know, his writing, at least when you look at Babylon 5 as a whole piece, was very consistent. And, you know, his characters got to the point where they were telling him what they did. Did you ever, did you ever watch that series? I've, I've watched very little. I watched off and on. Uh, maybe there, I've seen six, seven episodes total. There was an episode where uh, a certain character had to be killed. And when it got to the point where the, he was going to have to be killed... All of a sudden, he sat there and said, all of a sudden, this one character spoke to him and said, I need to do this. I need to be the one doing this. Write me doing this. And he's like, oh, my gosh. You know, it, it, to him, it was like his greatest moment as a writer, just simply to have that character speak to him in that way. And, of course, you know, we're all calling him the loony bin bus, but. <laughs> no, it's I've heard I've heard that some similar to that from Stephen King and, and as yeah. a. 
and I've talked to my mom about this, who is a writer, because she's got a master's in English, and she's a pretty good writer. Mm-hmm. And she's very, kind of backed this up, that when Stephen King was writing Cujo, so many people, and spoilers for Cujo, the book, in the book, the little boy dies, because they're trapped in a car, and they're in there for three or four days, it's too hot, He basically he just dies because he, you know, he's he's a child. And people w- would ask King, why did you kill this little boy? And his answer was, well, at that point, I, I, the story basically, I, I had to kill him. The story had evolved, and he created these characters to a point, they kind of took over. And it wasn't his choice, it just, that was naturally what had to come. Yeah. So I've sometimes, and you think, well, you're the writer, you can do whatever you want, but there are, I guess there are times when you create a character strong enough that that character kind of has its own personality and will start doing, you no, know, probably it's your subconscious writing yeah. it. But there are points when if a character is written well enough that they will start acting on their own. It sounds like what Trzynski was saying about this character. Yeah, okay. That's cool. Well, do we want to jump into the this uh, episode's book? And we're on episode five, right? This is episode five. Yes, it is. Yeah, okay. Um. Before I get into the synopsis, and we'll take a little break before that, right. uh, I wanted to add, because this is our first Burn Superman, and because he's so closely related or connected to Superman, I wanted to each give a kind of little little history behind how did you, you know, what's your experience, or how did you first come across uh, Burn when you started doing Superman? Oh, okay. That's you great. Wanna, you want to go first? Sure, sure. I, I mean, I, I remember pretty vividly. Um, I was in college, and... My uh, roommate said, hey, let's go down to Lone Star, which was a local comic book store here in, in Fort Worth. And so we ran down there, and um, we're just I'm just looking around, and I see uh, the Man of Steel there. And th- if I remember right, there was a little standee that had Superman smashing through something. But it wasn't the burn Superman. It was like Garcia Lopez, I think. And um, I'm sitting there looking at this going, what's what's going on here? And the guy tells me, yeah, John Byrne is rebooting Superman. And I'm like, oh, so, oh wow. I had no idea. And I picked up uh, three copies because the first copy that I picked up was the copy, of course, it had just the chest symbol and, you know, the shirt being opened. Yeah. On Man of Steel number one. It had two covers. So I, I had a rarity. Oh, it was, a, it was a double cover. It was a double oh. cover. Yeah, so I opened it up and it had a cover and I'm like, oh, wow. That's a you great know, one so to have a double cover of. Well, that, just let me continue here. <laughs> then, of course, uh, I bought a regular one with that with that cover and then I bought the uh, other split screen where it shows him standing there and the rocket taken off in Krypton. And um, I remember, you know, I got in the car and my roommate was driving and I read that thing from cover to cover before we'd even gotten halfway home. I think I read it in like seven minutes. I think he timed me. <laughs> that I, I read Man of Steel number one in like seven minutes, but I was just enthralled in that and everything. And um, I remember saying, I want to show this to uh, my family. And so I took the books with me over to my parents' house. My sister's dog got at it while we were eating and tore the one cover off. Mm. It ate the extra cover. Ugh. Can you imagine what that would have been worth today? I, I I don't know that it would really be worth anything, but still, it was such a rarity, and it was so cool, and I was like, wow, I've got something different here. 
<laughs> that's I don't think I don't know if their double covers are worth the the only I know the only advantage is that because you've got a double cover the inside cover is usually is pristine is pristine yeah because it's not taking wear but I have one double cover and I can't tell you what it is but I just I picked it up only because oh it's a double cover and I bought it I couldn't tell you that what at all what the issue is but I knew Byrne was redoing was going to revamp Superman. And I can't tell you how, because this, this is before the day of Wizard. Yeah. I wasn't reading comic shop news. I don't know, maybe just from the store I was going to. I used to go to a little store called The Comic Strip, uh, run by a guy named Jim and his wife. Nicest guy in the world. He would he would let you, if you, you couldn't pay for your comics, he would kind of let you run a tab. He would say, okay, well, I'm going to write down what you've got. When you come back next week, you pay for last week's and this week's. So he, he was pretty cool about that. Oh, wow. So, I don't know how I knew Byrne was doing it because I was coming off his, I discovered Byrne, uh, well, I guess at that, at that day and age when I started collecting comics about 84, you just, that's a name you just heard of, you know, Byrne was Byrne and Kirby and, you know, yeah. uh, just, and you know, the big names you hear about. Yeah, he was doing Fantastic Four. Yeah. So I, I was reading Fantastic Four and I'd started X-Men, so I started collecting Byrne X-Men. So I was aware of Byrne. He was the first, really the first artist that I could pick out his style. So somehow I knew he was doing Superman. So I picked him up when it came out, the, the six issue, six issue series, and I went into Superman. How I knew that, I don't know, but his Superman was my gateway into the DC universe because I actually started collecting, of all things, as, as much of a Marvel person as I am, I actually started collecting with uh, Green Lantern 187, 188. Whichever the one with John Stewart's taking his mask off on the cover. Oh, okay. I think it's 188. Because I that was my first comic I got as for sending a subscription in from buying a... I bought a Green Lantern Superpowers... Is that right? Superpowers figure. <laughs> and I sent in the, the ad in the back and started getting a subscription to that. as Just kind of a, just on a whim. So I, <clears throat> my first actual comics to collect were Green Lantern. But Byrne... His work in Superman introduced me to most of the major DC characters because most of them came on. This is right after Crisis, so everything's yeah. kind of getting rebooted and restarted, Yeah, which is a good time for me to start reading DC. So his was my gateway to, as you know, the guest star in this issue, my first introduction to that character, uh, and many others. So he's what kind of started me going on uh, getting into a very limited dip into the DC pool because I didn't, I would collect. I collected Superman up until he left, and then I came back for Death of Superman, and I've come back occasionally. I read very little Batman, but I read a lot of Green Lantern. Mostly, I was over, I was over in the Marvel camp. Yeah, I, I was I was on both sides of the track there. Really, I mean, I was I was reading Superman um, from the seventies into the eighties. Of course, that's all when you know Julius Schwartz was the editor, and you had Kurt Swan doing the art most of the time, and then Ross Andrew. Did a lot of artwork. I didn't. I wasn't there early enough to get you know Neil Adams stuff when it first came out. Uh, yeah, I had to pick that up as a back issue and pay money for it. Yeah, you know, a good bit of money. Oh yeah. And um, you know, so I got to see you know Superman and Lois break up in the comic books, and got to see Clark and Lana getting together more and more there towards the end. And unfortunately, you know the the whole. The, Everybody holds the uh, whatever happened to Superman storyline is almost canon, even though that's an imaginary tale. And it was the last, you know, Superman tale before Byrne took over. 
And I had a hard time finding the second part of that story. I uh, just remember uh, listening to the Leyland's talking about the uh, last two issues there that Alan Moore did. I have on, the first uh, issue of that. Show. I don't have the second. Yeah, I had the first issue, and it took me six months to track down the second one. So I, it was, it I was like I had I'd already one. had Man of Steel and all that stuff. Um, because Man of Steel, if I remember right, was it weekly or, or biweekly? It, it came out pretty quick. Oh, gosh. I, my memory for that yeah. is not... Yeah, but it was. I don't uh, remember that. It could have been bi-weekly. A lot of this, a lot of the books back then were. I think they would do that occasionally in the summer months with Spider-Man and mm-hmm. maybe the X-Men. They would double up. They'd yeah, the X-Men. They, I remember they started in the summers doing them, uh, doing them bi-weekly, or, or weekly. Golly, that that would be insane. I, you couldn't stand to be on the book doing that. And the, the problem with doing that is you don't get the consistency because the the artists and writers just can't keep up with that kind of pace. Well, yeah, now <clears throat> now artists can't even keep up with the monthly schedule now. No, no, and and again, you know, it's but it's a different reader today that wants different things than what we want. So, uh, I think it's time to start our own comic book company and hire all these guys that uh, can't get work for DC or Marvel right now because they're not young enough. What well, do y'all think? Should we start our own company? If you've got the capital. Well, I don't have the capital, but I've got uh, plenty of intellectual properties that would make great stories. And I think that um, if we did do, were to do a Kickstarter, if we already had samples of this stuff, you know, get Jerry Ordway and some of those other artists that are, are looking for work to put up some some uh, samples of what we'd be doing, that someone could start up a comic book company done the old-fashioned way, done the way that we enjoyed it, telling the stories the way we like them to be told rather than just being sold to the trades. You could, that would be more, maybe more of a niche market, but you could, it's possible, and they do bring those guys back occasionally. I know Connolly, uh, I mean, Conway just did a, uh, just did a stint on Spider-Man. Oh, yeah? Uh, Spider-Man, I own it, but I haven't read it. Hmm. I can't tell you, it's, it's, they're like point ones. Yeah, I have, I have a problem going back to Spider-Man right now just because I know there's so much history that's gone on that I've missed. I mean, I never read any of the clone stuff that, that went on. I, I just kind of skipped that. And when Straczynski was writing, I read some of that. But even there, he started going a little, you know, off the tracks yeah, that, people, of, of people what like, I enjoyed. Yeah, the, his, his Ezekiel storyline. Yeah. And I didn't, mind his, I, didn't, I didn't mind the Ezekiel character as much as I didn't like the spider totem Yes, line exactly. that that's where Peter's powers are coming from. I, I don't. I, I, this makes me sound like a grumpy old man. I don't like when they're <laughs> monkeying around with uh, Spider-Man's uh, powers. They're not mystical. They're not right. Leave well, them. You can. Do I'll tell you something. Things. I'll tell you something. Whenever a writer comes in and does an almost retcon of a character, and you're like, wait a second, we never heard anything about any of this before. Now you're saying this is how it all was? And and we we, we see a little bit of that What uh, in, in this issue of Action Comics, uh, as we discussed today. And I guess that's a great time to segue into it. That will be a good time. Let's let's take a little break. All right. Play us a promo, and we'll come back, and I will give a synopsis oh, hold of on Action a Comics. Oops. Who can we do a promo for? Everybody's ending their shows. Sean Engel ended as just one of the guys. Leyland's no longer doing the the Hey Kids comics. I don't. 
I mean, we're missing a lot of shows and nothing's coming out. What's the deal? Well, we're getting new stuff. I mean, now that we have Jay Weeder over with the Two Two Freaks. Oh yeah, his Daredevil stuff is great. Daredevil stuff's there. Uh, we we still have Palace of Glaring Delight, a, a great podcast. Yes, that last one he did on the on the on the music was just phenomenal. I've I've still got that in my player just because I love listening to the music. I haven't I haven't listened to, I haven't listened to that one yet, but I think Truly about awesome. two or three. I will tell you this: that between Palace and Hey Kids Comics, and I told I made a mention of this someone I commented on to on Facebook. And this is n- no offense to anybody else for their podcast. They're all great podcasts, but Leyland puts out probably one of the best produced podcasts out there. I, I agree. I yeah. agree with that wholeheartedly. Uh, I, I said I did a little thing to him on on Facebook, basically saying that. Um, you know, what he did was no small thing. Doing that show for five years, consistently out, always the same level of quality, even when Andrew might have had a hangover. Uh, but, you know, that that he did something there that was really good. And he did it just like what we're doing here. We're doing it for free. We're doing it because we enjoy doing it. We do it because it's fun. And this brings back, of course, all these feelings of nostalgia, looking over the, the, the things from... You know, not necessarily our childhood, but, you know, things from our past that we really, really enjoyed. We want to share that with people. And to sit there and do something and then want to do it for free, that's that's a great thing. His is so well written. I don't know if he's writes, he kind of writes copy for it, I guess, and, and yeah. sound like he's reading it. But some of that seems like he's just doing a tremendous amount of research. And I think it's just all coming out of his head. He must must absorb everything he's exposed to and doesn't forget it. And I know he's... I'm not going to spoil anything. I, I think he's a teacher. I don't know what he does, but I think he... But yeah, uh, yeah, I believe he is a teacher. His prose style when he writes is very... Yeah, it's very tight, very yeah. informative. He's witty, and, he's funny. It's just it's just yeah. a great... You know, he just has a great... He just has a great personality for, for I guess, podcasts. Mm-hmm. And it usually has a pretty... He's pretty insightful for what he's when he's when he's talking about whatever his subject is. So, as, as Perry White would say, he's got a punchy pro style. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess uh, we'll get, we're going to find it. Uh, we're going to take a break for somebody's promo. Yeah. Okay. We'll be right back. Okay. Doing the new promo. Do not say take the dare. Do not say take the dare. Okay. Go. Hello, darling. Nice to see you. It's me, J. David Weeder, the Conway Twitty of podcasting. But please, call me Dave. I host a show called Dave's Daredevil Podcast, where I talk about Marvel's Man Without Fear and Netflix superstar Daredevil. But I'm here to tell you that things have changed. Don't worry, I've still got more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at and a desperado love for Daredevil. And episodes of the show still come out each and every Sunday. But now, Dave's Daredevil Podcast is part of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. That's right, the show can now be found at 2TrueFreaks.com, home of Earth's mightiest podcasts. And if you haven't tried the show before, I see the want to in your eyes. So take the time to check out Dave's Daredevil Podcast, because sometimes you need a podcaster with a slow hand. Dave's Daredevil Podcast, every Sunday at 2TrueFreaks.com. Take the dare. I have no self-control. And we're back. Okay, so this week we're talking about Action Comics 595. Now, 
to give a little history in this era, era um, when John Byrne took over the reins on Superman, he was doing, you know, he's working multiple books, uh, Action Comics, which was the team-up book, and then Superman, which is his standard monthly book, and then there was The Adventures of Superman that first started off with Marv Wolfman and Jerry Ordway. Now, the Action Comics hook was that it was a team-up book, so every episode or every issue, uh, Superman would be teamed up with another character. Now, in this particular one, uh, which was basically halfway through the run, or more than halfway, really, they didn't uh, announce who Superman's uh, team-up partner would be. It was just simply question marks across the page. Um, just five issues later, when they reached issue 600, they ended this, though, and um, they went, Action Comics went to a weekly format with multiple stories. It was more of a yeah, anthology as well. What is it? 80-page book at that point. And so they'd have anything from a, a two-page story about Superman that was done by Roger Stern in almost a newspaper-type uh, format. And uh, I think Kerry Gamble was doing the artwork on that. I, or well, Actually, Kurt Swan did some of the work on that, too, if I remember right. And then they'd have stories about you know, Black Hawk or you know, just other, other uh, DC characters uh, that, that kind of went all around the table. Uh, I don't think it was very, considered very successful, and they didn't keep uh, that uh, format going on for very long before they, they went back to uh, it being a Superman book. And it wasn't a team-up book. It was just a straight Superman book, one of the, the triangle books that uh, they put out that kept the running storylines going for a number of years. Yeah, I didn't. I don't think I stayed with – after Burn left – I think I know I've got six hundred, maybe six oh two. I don't think I stayed long after that. Oh, I, d- I did. I stayed for a number of years, um, but I actually quit. Quit uh, buying and reading. Um, I think more when Dan Jurgens was really taking control of things. Um, and and when I when I'd heard that they were going to kill Superman, I was done. I just I just like was not going to stay with it. And, uh, you know, I, again, again, I've been told, you know, I'm wrong in, in how I understand it. But, you know, re- regardless of, of what the writers and the, the editors had decided, you know, the marketing people were just going, oh, this is going to be great. We're going to make so much money. But uh, that's, you know, that's just my take on that. And I know I'm probably going to – I've got a couple of people shaking their hands right now or whatever. Well, I'll say as as an event story, The Death of Superman was – better than most it wasn't it wasn't uh didn't seem to be an obvious cash grab but everybody knew i mean you knew that he was yeah absolutely absolutely okay so do you want to jump in on this and uh give us what you got i will give you what i got well all i've got all right i actually have a paper paper synopsis all right this is action comics 595 our publisher is DC. Our cover date was December of 87, but it went on sale September 87. We paid a whopping 75 cents for it. We got 32 pages. John Byrne was the writer and artist. His inker was Keith Williams. The letter was John Costanza. Our colorist was Thomas Zorko. Zuko? Zuko. Editor is Mike Carlin. At the same time this came out, Byrne did the, he was the cover inker for Booster Go. Booster Gold 23. He was also writing and drawing Superman 12 and 13 and 
He was a writer with the artist Mag- Mike Magnolia Magnola, on World of Krypton 1 and 2. This one, Action Comics 595, is entitled The Ghost of Superman. It's very ominous. Okay, our cover shows the Silver Banshee, which is her first introduction here. She is straddling the prone body of Superman, and she's proclaiming that she has killed the Man of Steel, while what appears to be Superman's ghost is coming up behind her, claiming, yes, but I'm not defeated. Our story begins with a tall, statuesque woman dressed in black and white, strolling past a construction site. She is greeted with a series of catcalls from the the construction workers, and when one of the co-workers gets a little too close and gets, tries to get fresh with her, she grabs him by the neck and seems to drain the life from him. She drops his exhausted corpse to the ground and walks on. This is a silver banshee, and this is how she kills. Yes, a banshee, I was told, is a high-pitched cry from people who have died before this person who was either about to die or was dead. And they generally cried during the wake or even before the person had passed away. But it was usually heard um, from a distance and it was always women who were crying. She comes to Ingalls Used Bookstore, enters and does the same to the store owner as customers flee in panic. One of the panicked customers runs and tells a nearby cop. The cops arrive at the bookstore and find it in shambles almost as if the Banshee was looking for something. The cops call the the Metropolis Special Crimes Unit, led by Captain Maggie Sawyer, a tough-as-nails cop who feels the police are not defenseless against super-powered bad guys and don't necessarily need superheroes to help them. Maggie's in the middle of a conversation with FBI agent Ben Friendly about her missing daughter when the call comes in about the Banshee. On the way to the crime scene, Captain Sawyer and Dan Turpin learn the Banshee has ransacked another bookstore. They arrive at Ghostly's bookstore to find the Banshee still hanging around. They confront her with typical tough guy cop talk, like, hold it right there, hands in the air, don't move, that sort of thing. Well, the Banshee ain't afraid of no cops, so she approaches the nearest officer, and as, she empties his, and as he empties his gun into her midsection, she drains his life. His body crumples to the pavement to the horror of the other cops. Captain Sawyer calls for an all-out assault on a banshee, but as this proves as ineffective, and as she touches another officer, and you guess it, he's a stiff, rift of life. This is an ex-police officer. They chase the banshee around the corner, and when another cop gets too close, the banshee mistakes him for the same cop she just killed and tries to kill him. She seems puzzled that the man does not die. She claims he is not Superman, and just as the genuine article swoops down from the sky, Superman makes a really lame Pee Wee Herman joke, surprising the banshee. The Banshee tells Superman to, to butt out <clears throat> and mind his own business, as Captain Sawyer warns Superman that her touch is how she kills. The Man of Steel ain't afraid of no Banshee, because his super speed will keep him safe. But as her namesake suggests, the Banshee kills with her voice. Superman weakens and falls to the pavement, seeming, seemingly dead. Let's pause for a moment of silence. Okay, that's enough. <laughs> Kicking back at the Daily Planet, Lois Lane receives a call about the death of the Man of Tomorrow. Lois is grief-stricken and she tells Perry White that Superman is dead. The news spreads around the globe as we see, as we see Black Canary, the Batman, and the Martian Manhunter mourn the loss of one of their own. Black Canary suggests calling in the rest of the Justice League to stop the Banshee. Martian Manhunter urges something must be done. Everyone reacts to the death of the Man of Steel in their own way. 
cut to LexCorp Tower as Lex Luthor is having an all-out tantrum. Feeling cheated of his right to kill Superman, Luthor trashes his office. Falling to his knees almost weeping, Luthor screams it's not fair. Sometime later, the last son of Krypton is put to rest in a glass coffin. Everyone is turned out to pay their respects. Lois Lane asks Captain Sawyer if they have any word news on the Banshee. Apparently she has been going from bookstore to bookstore as if searching for something. Lois is explaining to Maggie the absence of Clark Kent because, spoilers, Superman is Clark Kent. She says Jimmy Olsen is investigating the Silver Banshee on his own because he knows Superman would never rest until the Banshee was stopped. Just then, the ghost of Superman rises from his body, promising to finish what he started. We now cut back to the Banshee, ransacking another bookstore as young Jimmy Olsen watches from behind the door. She seems frantic to find a certain book when she spots Olsen lurking in the shadows. She moves in for the kill when Superman's ghost glides through the ceiling and confronts the villain. Banshee is enraged. Superman is not dead. Somehow, he survived. She tries to use her voice on him again, but Superman, in pain, shrugs off her vocal attack. She can't kill a ghost. He passes through her, causing her pain and bewilderment. How can he do that to her? Superman pulls an Obi-Wan Kenobi and claims by killing him he is now more powerful than ever. Denied her victory, the Banshee unleashes the full power of her scream. Superman's ghost, unharmed, demands her surrender. She lets loose with an even more powerful scream and seems to explode. Windows shattered. A very mortal Superman helps up a stunned Jimmy Olsen, who is surprised the Man of Steel is alive. Superman's ghost appears and is revealed to be the Martian Manhunter. Epilogue. Back at the Daily Planet, Jimmy explains he traced the shipment of old books from the castle Brion, Brion in Ireland. He deduces this old who was looking for a book from the shipment. Everyone is curious how Superman survived. He explains the attack by the Banshee put him into a deep coma. John Johns explains he read the minds of the, the eyewitnesses of the Banshee attack and discovered she was unable to kill an officer she thought she had already killed. He speculated the Banshee's powers were based on a visual cueing and she could not harm him if he believed he was Superman's ghost. When Johns passed through Superman as he rose from the coffin, he jump-started Superman's mind and basically brought him out of his coma. Perry White tells Lois to wrap the story and let the world know that Superman lives. Meanwhile, somewhere, Lana Lang and a group of shadowy figures in an underground lair prepare to put their plan in motion. Next stop, Millennium. The end. A little too long and too no, dry. No, that was fine. That was a good telling. And I, and I loved little. your little Obi-Wan thing because I was thinking the exact same thing. Uh, when I did a little research, and one thing I came across, because, um, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of new information to get from this. I mean, obviously, there's the, the crossover in Millennium. Um, but as far as, you know, everything else goes, this is a, a brand new character that John Byrne created, the Silver Banshee. And what he had said on his website was that the face of Silver Banshee was inspired by, but not copied from makeup that he'd seen in an Italian movie when he was in college. And that was, that was one of the few bits of uh, trivia that I was actually able to come across. That's the only, that's the only one I could, I could find any reference and to at all. It, it, it's, as we had been talking about doing this one, and we were, we were talking about also doing Superman issues. Is it 17? Yeah. Seven, what, 17. Where she when she back. came back. And the one thing I found interesting, I think this was for both of them. Mark Wade was an assistant editor at DC on the Superman comics at the time. So the letter columns were res- were answered by Mark Wade. I didn't yeah, know that. I, I knew I'd get you on one of those at least. <laughs> You're always getting me on something because you, 
you you can recall this much much better than yeah, I can. Well, that's that's just stuff I I found as I was doing my research. But there, you know, there really wasn't a whole lot much uh, much more. And it, it, even stranger is that when I was looking on the web trying to find more stuff on Silver Banshee, there's a lot of artwork out there done by a lot of people, but a lot of Burns' work is not really that easy to find. You can find a couple shots of her, but not really a whole lot from the book has been pulled out. And this book alone has a lot of huge shots, huge long shots of her. So I, I thought it was really interesting. Now, even more interesting is just last week, my wife's cousin had posted a picture on Facebook of the makeup job of what she's going to be on Halloween. And I swear she was looking at the silver banshee when she did it. She'd never seen it before. Well, this has, she has a very day of the dead yeah. look. It's not for being, well, you find it later in the other issue that she actually is Irish. And it really has no Celtic Irish kind of look to it. It's very, uh, it's very day of the dead. I, I said, it's got a, she's got kind of a lady death vibe going to yeah. her. Of course, Lady Death would would come along much later. But I, I, what I think is odd is the character of Lady Death was created uh, from the Evil Ernie books. It was created by a guy named Stephen Hughes. Hmm. No relation. No relation. Not that I know of, no. I mean, I, I actually have but, some relation to Howard Hughes. I think you got a dollar out well, of that's, that. Well, that's, that's a better relation to have. Yeah, but it, it's yeah. very hard to follow. I actually We actually followed it, but it's it's a... Uh, yeah, it's it's very distant. Anyway, um, didn't end didn't end up at a bank. Huh? <laughs> no, it didn't didn't help and didn't end up in the bank or help in the bank. That's for sure. You know, looking at the cover here. Um, now that's just Byrne doing the cover altogether, art and ink, pencils and inks on the cover. I couldn't tell you if he did, he inked the cover or not. Yeah, but but looking at the the cover and then the credits, I think what what's going on here is that Byrne was doing the art and he was doing the character inks, and then Keith Williams would come in and do the background inks. Now is that throughout just the cover? Or throughout, throughout the, whole, the book? whole book. That's odd because his inking. I made a note of that. That his the inking in this book I like better than over in Superman, hmm. which was inked by Carl Kessel. Yeah, and it. So if yeah, he, now if, Keith Williams, if I remember, he was the anchor for all the Hulk issues that Byrne did. But again, it was background inks, if I remember right. Well, if if Kessel was doing all the inks over in mm -hmm. Superman, that might explain why I prefer this because Byrne is inking himself, even though normally when he inks himself, it looks a little muddy, and it's not here. The, the this the art in this this book is I've got some stuff to say about the story, but the art's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. In fact, if you're looking at the first page. The one thing that, I mean, I like the fact that of her being in and out of that panel, you know, the top of her is outside the panel, but the, the rest of her is inside the panel. And then just the the characters and the shading of those characters in the background, like the guy with the hard hat in the middle. And you can see there's shade right there over his eyes due to the hard hat. Yeah. Yeah, this is a great, the with her breaking yeah. the panel, it, it gives her a sense of her scale. So we already the, the we know that it, you can't tell from this. You think it's just a a, a trick of perspective, but it turns out she is. I don't know. She's probably supposed to be about seven feet tall. So that's a great way to introduce her. One, it from a uh, graphic design point, it fits in with the the information top. It says the ghost of Superman and all the credits. Yeah. But it's just a great way to to give her a sense of scale as we first see her. Yeah, and that's a it's a real of course it's striking, a very striking character, and I think that's why she's been brought back as many times as she has. Is just that she's a very striking character, though albeit very powerful 
in that deadly sort of way and indiscriminate in how she uses her power. Well, the only two stories I've read are this one and the other one follow up in Superman. I haven't read any of the, in the uh, her next appearances. I'm sure that her story gets filled in more. Yeah, and in fact, but, uh, Roger and, Stern did a, a, a bit with her, and I think Mike Mignola was doing the artwork on that. But Roger Stern did a lot of filling in the blanks, and he he took it on his own. He didn't go back to Burn and say, "Hey, what did you have planned here?" So it was you know just his own writing way when he was doing that. Um, so we never got to get Burn's full story on that. And, you know, I, I, I wish we could have because it looks like a very interesting character. And even that of her uh, brother, Bevan McDougal or, or whatever it is that um, comes in in the later, shows up later in the episode, later issue. Yeah. yeah. Well, from the next, you know, talk too much about the next issue, but the follow-up issue, she seems more of a tragic, instead of a write-out villain, she seems more of a tragic character than... I, I have no more sympathy like for her whatsoever, simply because... No, of, but she seems more that she's... Yeah. She, she is a little tormented by what she's become. She doesn't She doesn't seem to revel in her power. I guess that's but, what But I'm she playing. seems to just want to kill for no other reason than just that that person's right in front of them, right in front of her. And that's, I mean, that's, that's evil. I mean, it's just pure evil. Maybe it's the, as you spoke earlier of the Joker, maybe it's... Because we see, you know, spoilers for whoever reads the next issue. She has a human form. I don't know. The, there's nothing explained, but she does have a human form that she at one point transforms into the Banshee. So maybe she's more tortured. She's kind of a, maybe it's more like a Jekyll yeah, and Hyde. tortured she, soul. She kind of understands what she does as the, as the Banshee, and she feels remorse, but at the same time, she can't yeah, help As her. I understand it, she was the older, uh, the oldest of, of her family that was, uh, you know, alive. And she felt that she was supposed to be the one running the clan and, and doing whatever it was that, that, you know, needed to be done. And, of course, Bevan being the only, the, the oldest male, you know, he felt it fell to him. And so there was, you know, uh, conflict there. Well, it seemed like the, that for that family, and it was probably was a more old, uh, traditional Irish family, it was a little more, you know, I'm not trying to offend any Irish listeners, <laughs> it was a little more of a misogynistic. Uh, well, what culture wasn't? <laughs> yeah, I mean, back yeah, from back. It is then. not a culture that didn't have misogynistic, you know, beginnings simply because the men did things the way they did it, and so you know that's that's where all that goes. Okay, so looking at it, still, I'm looking at that first page panel and just looking at all the detail that's in there. You got the construction yard, the concrete truck, you got the barrels, the cinder blocks. The guy's holding a sledgehammer, and you know it's all—he's all holding it almost like Thor would hold uh, Mjolnir. <laughs> I thought—I thought—I thought about that when I saw him. <laughs> but you know, you look at each one of these guys, and each one of them there is a character. You know, they're—they're they're all distinctive. They're not, not, none of them are a carbon copy of uh, other burn characters. You know, no, no, they're—they're—they're they're, they're all distinctive. They're all distinctive. They're almost that—that that cartoon, more character. Caricature style that Byrne can that Byrne does very well, like when he draws um, Mrs. Pitlick. Yeah. It's not the realistic rendition that he does of his characters. It's more of a comical. I don't know. I look at these guys version. and I think I've met these guys at past jobs. You know, in the the what they what they're a caricature of. You know, I mean, I don't you know. I can well, say they're a caricature, but you know, they they look like somebody I've met. Yeah. Well, the guy that's the older guy with the mustache yeah. that 
basically, you know, meets his doom at, that's that's talking to her. I don't think it's intentional, but when I when I when I see him, my first thought was that looks kind of like Archie Goodwin. Hmm. Yeah, and which is odd because I'm sure again it's not intentional at all. But Archie Goodwin got his start doing with uh, creepy and yeah. eerie the monster the magazine. Warren publishing so, books. Yeah, I love this stuff. yeah, Warren stuff. So I don't think I don't think that's Burns doing that, but that was just mine. I, when I found that out, I thought that was a little kind of a nice little tie-in. I don't think that's supposed to be anybody. Yeah. And so, looking at, at Silver Banshee, though, and, and what I, you know, I was always wondering, was she, like, a mystical character, and then her mouth was, like, really, really weird, or had she done makeup to make it look that way? And based on, the, you know, what Byrne was saying in his own website, and, you know, just looking at it here, it's obvious that it's, like, a makeup or, or mask-type situation to put the teeth over the mouth, you know? So, he right. It looks like it looks like she has made herself uh, yeah, up. Yeah, skull face. Which is, and it's. I'll, when we get to it later. There's a great panel that you can see the detail he's put into where it looks like he's drawn her actual mouth and then gone over with this makeup style for the uh, skeleton-like teeth that just looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. And but now when she's when she's grabbing the you know this guy, she visibly ages him because his hair goes gray. Why didn't it grow? Why did it just turn gray, though? Yeah, I, th- I think of uh, I Indiana think Jones in the Last Crusade when the guy drank from the wrong <laughs> cup. You know, he chose poorly. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, you think, okay, so wouldn't the hair and everything grow like that? Well, I don't – it's never explained exactly how she's killing these people, but to me it seems not so much aging them as she is draining their life essence or life force. So, And that's just – visual storytelling to let the, you know that, well, they're all dried up yeah. and spent and used up. But the thing about her, I'm going to go back a little bit about her makeup. If What's odd is that it looks like that is makeup. Yeah. But obviously, this fire effect that's around her arms yeah. and legs, that is that is supposed to be some type of a mystical flame or something because it's flickering. It's moving. It's not part of it. It's right. not a, a static piece of the costume. That is... Something that's rippling off of her, some kind of energy or something. It's a cool effect. Right. Do you know what's the most intriguing part of this whole page, though, to me? Is the level of detail on the workman's gloves. You look at I me, mean, each panel, you see that there's a lot of detail put on those work gloves that the guy's wearing. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's later, there's a, and I'll bring up to the guys, she kills one of the cops and he falls down. And there's, there's a, I love the inking on the jacket. All the folds yeah. and yeah. kind of nooks and crannies on his jacket uh, are pretty yeah. cool. These, I thought, when, I guess because it's Metropolis, maybe, but this lady walks up, and they're not even phased. They're like, oh, you going to a costume yep. party? I guess they see these kind of costume weirdos all the time. Maybe it's like being in New York. In the Marvel Universe, they don't seem startled or or anything out of the usual that they see a woman, seven-foot woman, dressed all in black and white and skull face just walking down the, you know, or the fact that she's got this flame rippling off yeah. of her. And now, on this next page, as she walks into this used bookstore... There's three distinct people in here, aside from the bookstore guy that she kills. And are they supposed to be certain people? I didn't. I mean, the, the guy at the bottom reporting to the cop looks a lot like to Roy Thomas. Mm-hmm. But, and then the cop himself uh, looks almost like Clark Gable. Yeah. A little, uh, a little uh, Don Amici, yeah, too. Yeah, I can see that. With that mm-hmm. mustache. Yeah. And I wondered about Ingalls. Used, that's got to be, I thought, the only person I could think of was Inglehart, yeah. but I don't know if that's somebody... He knows. Yeah, because of the spelling and all that. But yeah. what about the what about so the big guy running out of the store? I think that's mostly. Burn I don't himself? think so. He does. I mean, uh, he has drawn himself as portly, but he's never gone that, that far. Fat. 
and the beard is just so thick and the hair on top is just uh, not quite. But yeah, I get the feeling it's somebody he knows. They're probably all people he knows. I mean, you think about it, they were probably all yeah. people. Friends, family, you know, somebody he saw on the street. It could be any number. But yeah, of, this uh, is definitely one of the more uh, diverse books as far as seeing all sorts of different people in it, you know, as opposed to some of the other books that we've seen in the past. Well, and, and even the store owner, when she comes in, again, this guy's not phased. He's like, hey, can I help yeah. you? Not like, <laughs> what are you? What are you when doing here? When she's grabbing his head, he looks like Dr. Savannah, you know, from the Shazam stories. Oh, I don't. The comic or the TV the comic. show? Oh, I've, I've never read ah. Shazam, so I'm, I'm sorry there. I don't know. I was thinking, wait a minute. The, the guy in the TV show was an old guy with a mustache. Hmm. You're talking about the old um, Shazam TV show that was... Yeah, the Filmation. Yeah, Filmation, yeah, Filmation yeah. right? They never had Dr. Savannah on there, though. He was one of the Shazam villains. and yeah. But, uh, yeah, he was never on the TV show. It's funny you mention that. Someone posted a full episode of Shazam today on uh, Facebook. I watched that show because that was a late... That was kind of a late... Your your key hours for Saturday morning mm-hmm. cartoons were, I would say, 9.30 to, say, 10.30, maybe 11. That's where your meaty prime shows yeah. were. And that was always like 11.30. 10.30 or 11, yeah. Yeah, that was a later show. It was usually like on with Arc 2, which yeah. I watched, or uh, th- that was a Shazam Isis hour, so I'd watch that. Oh, mighty Isis. Well, yeah. Okay, so. Okay, so the call comes in. Now, this Maggie Sawyer is the creation of Burn 2, yes. correct? And she has been kind of a supporting character in the Superman, and I guess the action. I think she's been in action comics before, uh, at least. In yeah, she's run. she's been in several, you know, several of the Superman stories in all three books. Um, and she is a major. I mean, just what's going on on this next page where where she is with uh, her discussion with Ben Friendly there, which I think is also a burn creation because I don't see any more of him out there in the books. And anybody, if 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 you if you guys know different, please correct me because I like I like the character Ben Friendly as as he'd been written, but you just don't see a whole lot of him. Um, but yeah, you know the Maggie Sawyer character, the the backstory with her daughter and her whole history, and uh, that was as as far as I can think. Unless the Hulk did it first, that was she was the first um, gay character that they really introduced. It was around the time when they really started introducing gay characters. Um, well, that was it wasn't established that she was gay until later, right? I don't think in Burns' run it was established that she was. Well, he he never said gay. it outright, but they did demonstrate it in the flashbacks uh, that she was. In fact, it, it Burn did a, a, a one shot story, and I'm trying to remember where it was. It may have been in Action 600, where Dan Turpin gets injured in the line of duty. And she visits him at the hospital, and he decides he's falling in love with her. And he makes his overtures to her pretty much in front of her her lover. And she has to set him straight. Yeah, that would... Uh, I know Northstar gets the credit for being the first gay character, but he may be the first one to come right out and well, say... When the they had the opportunity to do it, they kind of wimped out. And they made it out that you know he was part fairy or part something. And it was making him sick and almost dying, and, you know. And then finally, years later, they, they did, you know, bring him out. I mean, Byrne did small, subtle things in the Alpha Flight run to let you know, yeah, this is what, what he is. I remember just seeing a scene where he was getting out of a swimming pool and there was another guy there. And I'm like, hmm. But they never, you know, they never, you know, did the out and out. Uh, 
Oh, yeah. Well, I always got the impression that during Burns' run that Aurora and Northstar were a little, maybe a little closer than they should be for brother and sister. Well, to me, it was no different than Wanda and Pietro, you know, Silver Surfer and Scarlet Witch. And, of course, you know, later years, guys like Mark Millar or others that, you know, sit there and said, oh, yeah, oh, they, they, yeah, they, they ramped that up. And I guess in the Ultimates, they didn't do that in the, in the regular books, so did they? No, it was the Ultimates that but that was that was Miller Millar. How yeah. you pronounce his name? Was yeah, he was going a little uh, he was going a little crazy. It's funny. I've just listened to his show with uh, Hey Kids Comics where Andy was talking the difference between Millar's they were covering the Punisher. So talking about the difference between Miller's Punisher <laughs> run or what he would handle it as opposed to Garth Ennis. Oh yeah, when they're writing in a kind of an extreme adult story, the way that those two uh, writers will handle it differently. But well, back to Maggie. I have a. <laughs> My question is, one, what's up with the miniskirt or short skirt? And it, that seems, a, for being this, she's supposed to be this super tough, tough, you know, like I said, tough as nails type cop. I'm all about the job. That seems an odd wardrobe no, choice. No, not, not. That seems a little fashion forward for her. I would think Not to be, me. This is a woman that, that basically wants to you know, let everybody know I'm the boss, but at the same time, I'm a woman. You know, it, 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 you know, she's not leading forward with what, she, you know, that, that, you know, what her sexual preference is. But if you look at her in, in that, she's definitely probably more of the lipstick type rather than, you know, the Butch John, uh, stereotype. And, you know, if I offend anybody with that, I'm not trying to. It's just, you know, the way things are read here. No, I, I understand what I started to say. I understand the, what yeah. you're talking about. And I can see that. I just thought she was be would be more about, Kind of all about but it's job. also the style of the day too. I mean, you'll you'll see as you get further into the book. I think that that that's a popular. Maybe maybe that was in the other one though. But move on. Well, no, it's because I have a note later when you see yes. Lois. I said, "Burn, what's up with all the women in the short skirts?" And that was that was definitely the style of the day. And that's that's one thing we brought up before about Burn when he draws. He's very uh, fashion. He's very conscious of the mm-hmm. fashion. That he doesn't draw a kind of a generic fashion. He you can almost tell when one of his books was drawn based on the way he draws the right right it's funny though you look on this next page when you see maggie in the van with turpin and the other guys and they're going out there to meet the silver banshee and you see one of the what i I call a burn trooper at the bottom of the page he's got the he's got the vest on and the the puffy vest that burn loves drawing that puffy puffy vest. vest this looks almost identical to the character in uh that avengers run we did when we did 164 through 166 you remember they had a couple burn troopers there, and they were wearing yep. that same vest. I, and again, this is New York, maybe ten years after that. That was seventy five, seventy six, or seventy seven, and this is eighty seven. So, I, I mean, I guess it's not too far of a stretch that the the SWAT or uh, police did have tactical gear like that. Yeah, that's probably supposed to be a type of bulletproof mm-hmm. vest, I would suppose, but. Like Burn Tech, he he has probably stock henchman type characters that he likes to draw. My my question is, I don't I don't know the character of Turpin enough. He's not a Burn creation. No, it's a Kirby creation. That's what I and thought. It, is that why he's drawn like he's from the forties? Yeah, 40s? That, that, that's like exactly. Dra- I mean, it's funny because on uh, Superman the animated series, Turpin was drawn like Jack Kirby. He looked like Jack Kirby. It was a tribute to Jack Kirby. Oh, and I didn't they, know that. Oh, spoiler! They killed him. Or Darkseid killed him, or it looked like Darkseid killed him. He used the Omega Force on him. In the, in the, in yeah. the cartoon? 
that, that I was just shocked and amazed when they did that. I, I always wondered if it was just him being banished off to Apocalypse or, or something else other than just killing him. And if anybody knows, please let me know because I always wondered about that. But I never saw a further episode where they talked any further on it. And I was just like, that blew me away. You know, as far as seeing a costume, uh, excuse me, a, co- a cartoon do something like that. Now, look, looking back at this, when Maggie and him are in the van with those guys and they're brandishing their weapons and getting ready for whatever, look at those two guns that are up on the wall. It looks like a flamethrower, and I don't know what the other one would be. Maybe a grenade launcher. Well, the guns, the, the guns the troopers come out with, even the one Turpin yeah. has, it's I guess it's a flash suppressor, but it looks they look like flamethrowers. Yeah, yeah. And, and when the, the, uh, but again, Maggie, Maggie's unit is a special unit made specifically for superpowered characters, if I remember right. 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 They're kind of like the, 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 uh, the, the powers bureau and Michael Bendis's powers Mm -hmm. book, whatever. I can't remember what they go. Basically, they're, they're, they're designed to deal with, uh, enhanced meta, whatever DC calls them. Uh, but, they, my question is when they, okay, they know, they're on the scene, they're going to the scene of the crime. They know, they know at this point how she kills. Right. Don't, right. and they say that several times, which I see as them kind of, it's, it's Burns misdirection. He's, he's reassuring us. She kills by touch. Just remember, she kills by touch. Don't let yeah. her touch you. Okay. So they approach her, you know, they're basically, you know, they're doing cop 101. Don't move, stand still, you know, you're under arrest. You notice how Maggie, every time you see her standing up, She's got her legs spread far enough to keep her skirt, her skirt taut. Yeah, tight. nice yeah. and tight. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. I think that's that's just artist choice there. But I brought, I thought about this when, and the cops were like, "Oh, we're not going to touch her. No, we're we're going to keep our distance." So we we've shown that she's not she's not running. She's just walking. I mean, sure she's I'm sure she's got a long stride, but the cops got the beat on her. She's walking towards him, and she's he's basically saying, "Hey." You know, don't come any closer. Why is it that, and I brought this up as a Star Trek episode I'm talking about, that when you don't want somebody to touch you, these these guys never back off. Back off, they don't run, they don't move out of the way, they don't try to put that car between them. They just stand there to let the, the villain get within touching distance, and then they're dead. There's, There's a, three answers. Number one, number dramatic. one, it's in the script. It's in the script, okay. well, yeah. Number two, they have a gun, and they think that gives them power. And so, therefore, they're not backing up, and they'll fire when they're ready to fire, you know, when they see the whites of their eyes or whatever. And number three, they were stupid. Well, yeah, this guy's basically a red shirt. Yeah. Which, there's a, the Star Trek episode, I'm, I'm talking about, it's an original series, and it's called uh, That Which Survives, and it's where the computer Lee creates Merriweather. this illusion of this woman. Lee, yeah. yeah. And she she touches you and disrupts, disrupts all your cells, and that's how you die, and they know that later in the show, and... and they're like, oh, this woman's here. Don't let her touch you, but, you know, back away, fire your gun sooner. I understand this guy has to die so that we can see that she dies and that he is basically, he's yeah. a red shirt. And that she's apparently invulnerable, but I remember reading that she's got a very fast healing process. But here, here it makes oh, it look more goes, like she's yeah. invulnerable than anything else. It just, yeah, it looks like it's just bouncing off of her. But the next page is when he's got crumpled to the ground, as I said. I love the way that that jacket he's wearing is inked you can see all the little and and it's even drawn to to look like now it's too big because he's all shriveled up then the then that middle panel where maggie is opening fire i've seen burn do this before 
her face looks so pinched yeah. that it's not very flattering. And it's just the way I've seen him draw women's faces sometimes. Yeah, and then there's nothing wrong with that because, I mean, she's sitting there and she's doing, staring down with the gun. She's aiming properly. She's got the proper stance. You look at everything there, the way she's holding her hand and everything. And she's not keeping her shot in one spot. As you can see, she's moving the gun around. And he's even got the injection of the cell, shells showing how fast she's shooting. Well, he's even he's gone to the point of drawing the action of the the yeah. recoil on the gun yeah. as it recalls and it's you know ejects right. out of the shell. And you can see the the motion lines to show that her hands are being moved by the motion of the gun. Yeah. Right now, that's that's very effective. I've always liked the way his his gunshots looked because you know he's definitely apparently studied uh, enough about that to 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 get that right. Wow. That bottom panel left is. Now that looks like a flamethrower. I'm sure it's just supposed to be the flare of yeah. the gun, the yeah. muzzle flare, but it looks like he's blasting her with a flamethrower. Her legs look wrong now. The left leg, the they left look leg just looks so lacking of detail and anything, and the right leg looks almost I don't know. It, it, there's something wrong with that perspective. Her legs look a little yeah. short. They look a little compared to how she's supposed to be very leggy. They do look a little short. And then of course this is basically the scene so we can see her kill this, you know, nondescript trooper, so that later, it sets up so that when she tries to kill him again, it doesn't work. Right. Right. We get to find out that that's, um... That's the telltale uh, heart. That's how... That's the heart. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So that she doesn't understand and again, you know, don't get close to her. <laughs> you know, don't... She doesn't seem like she's not acting... They don't... They don't suggest that she's got... She's moving fast. No. She's not has super speed or anything like that. They're just it does raise another stupid. question though. Uh, it does raise another question though. It, can she not affect women? Because she all but ignores Maggie Sawyer, Sawyer completely. And the woman's telling her what to do. The woman is shooting at her and all this and chasing after her and all that. She only goes after the men. Well, she one you can't kill Maggie. She's, she's a main character. You know, main supporting character. She doesn't. And he and for this to work, she has to kill somebody that looks right. like the other guys are all dressed right. the same for for this little plot point to work. So of course, Superman flies down and again, like I said, makes a very dated and kind of corny joke. I wrote that this. Yeah. It seems like he's trying to be funny. Mm -hmm. That's not you know Superman usually has a, a sense of humor, but this is him just. This is more like a Spider-Man joke. Yeah, but uh, this is a burn thing. That's something that that Byrne has done through the years. Is he's being he's used you know things from the day to to make his uh, jokes here and there. I you know I don't know how many times in a Byrne book I've heard him do you know say goodnight Gracie though that's not necessarily timely. But he does no. like to throw out the 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 pop culture jokes. And I I can't I can't fault him for that. That's you you deal with what's what's current and what's contemporary. So I can't fault somebody for. Bringing in, it's and just, you know, I mean, there's plenty know, of data stuff you've read Silver Age, Marvel, and DC. I don't know if, uh, if you're Marvel. aware or not, but Pee Wee's getting a new show. I did not know Pee Wee's getting a new show. As Pee Wee's playing, yeah, Pee Wee Herman on Netflix, I believe. Oh well, good for yep. Paul Rubin. God, he's got to be, he's got to be pushing what fifty. Oh, no, he's older than that. He was actually in the Cheech and Chong movies before he even you know hit it big, and so the Cheech and Chong movies are ten years before his movie. Well, he was he was in he's the waiter in the Blues mm -hmm. Brothers when they go into the fancy restaurant. That's nineteen eighty. Yeah. And he was in Cheech and Chong's so. next movie uh, as the hotel hotel guy. 
And I remember he it basically it was at the time when Iran was uh, a big thing in the news. I was like, these guys are a couple of Iranians. He calls the police and the SWAT <laughs> comes in and all sorts of stuff. Comes in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I, all right, so I Superman. love this shot just before Superman comes in of the, the SWAT guy that, that she wasn't able to kill, but still you can see he's affected by it. He's all yeah. woozy. That's, that is a really good shot, even down to the boots and everything there. Oh, Burns always drawn great yeah. boots. Well, he, I mean, he makes uniforms, you know, that should look stupid, look good on people. That's, that's, you know, one of the, one of the beauty of, of, of his work. And just, uh, this, this, this whole segment right here, uh, has good motion and everything. I, I, I think that they missed the boat on the motion lines in the first panel, but they didn't necessarily have to have them. You can see where they're going, but they still could add some motion lines or speed lines or whatever. Oh, or whatever. With yeah, them with them running. running, especially that that first hit, one of him. Yeah, I mean, you, I don't think you have to. He, well, it's not really meant to be that way, but he almost implies that with the 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 reflection he's got into the mirror yeah. glass. Yeah, that those almost act as motion lines. They look, they look more like motion lines you see in manga. Yeah, which they're not like comic motion lines. They're more just to to give you a sense of movement for the whole the whole panel. Yeah. But, Okay, but Superman coming down. Superman. That's, that's, it, it's interesting. His pose coming down is not a typical Superman, you know, coming in to land for a landing pose. It looks, you know, like like he just is coming out of the sky, and he's not sitting there saying, "I have to pose like this or pose like that." Because the way he's got the one arm up in the air, but the other arm down on his side, so he does have the one leg pulled up and that that typical weird thing that people always do when they fly and they hold their legs at different different angles. I don't know why they do that. <laughs> I don't know. So you'd have to, I guess, you know, match you have to fly to... I mean, for me, it causes resistance when I'm doing it in the pool. And yes, I do fly when I'm in the pool. Alright. Alright, so Superman shows up, gives us a little backstory about what he was doing. And I can't... I'm sure I've, I'm sure I've read this issue, but I can't remember it. Uh, Adventures of... Adventures of Superman 435, where he was... In an alien dimension, yeah. I, I don't recall it myself. Um, I remember the stories back then, and, and you know, Marv Wolfman was still writing at that at that time, I do believe, but I, I could be wrong. But what's nice is this is an editor's note, yeah. so that if you didn't have that issue, you go right. and find it and read it. Now, looking at this page, does this page look like Dick Giordano came and inked it? Because it's got that same kind of flourish and flourish, especially around Superman and his hair, like we saw in Man of Steel. So, you know, Dick Giordano or one of his assistants had come in and inked that. <laughs> I I couldn't, I'll be honest, I couldn't pick up. I'm terrible at picking out ink styles, mm. so until I saw them side by side, by side not consciously, it doesn't ring a bell. And why does it look like Maggie I, Sawyer's I, pointing her gun at Superman rather than at, at the Banshee? Yeah, she does. Well, maybe she's trying to ricochet it off Superman and hit the Maybe. <laughs> she's going to rebound it. <laughs> now, that bottom left panel... I love the way he's drawn her face because you can obviously tell that's her lips, and he's gone over and drawn this makeup style yeah. effect. It's, that's just beautiful the way, and it's all and black and actually, white. You, know? you can actually see great... there's a nose there, and it's not yeah, not yeah. just the skull version. And that's I'm sure that's much harder to do yeah. than just drawing a mouth and then going over it with uh, to make it look like it's makeup. My question is when Superman comes in and says, "Well, don't worry, my super speed, I'll grab her." How does he know that? It's only her hands. I mean, I'm sure that's what he surmises that, but how does he not know that any, her, just the touch of her body itself? Exactly. And, yeah. So he grabs, he grabs her arms and like, oh, that, and, that's, and this is the, the whole setup of the whole thing. That's why I think throughout the rest of, uh, earlier in the issue, they kept saying, 
oh, her she kills by touch. She kills right. by touch. You know, don't let her touch you. To come up with this, dun dun dun. No, it's not my touch. It's her, my voice. Her name is Banshee. Doesn't that tell yeah. you something? You think they would put that together? <laughs> well, the fact is, she doesn't. But she doesn't kill with a scream. Yeah. And then we get that great. There's another. It's another great splash where Superman all crumbled on the. You know, I had a problem with this at on first, the bottom that, with this this one page shot. It just didn't feel right to me. And you know, I was actually reading it on my tablet. And I remember before when I was younger, thinking the same thing. It just didn't look right. And so I had to, you know, because the tablet always tries to write the page when you turn it sideways or whatever. I had to lay it down on my bed and walk around the uh, the bed to sit there and look at this from different angles to see w- was the proportions right. Because it just looked funky to me. But as I looked at it from the opposite end, no, it looked right. It's just like... I don't, I don't have a problem. Now, are you are you looking at a, a scan or a uh, digital? Like this a is a scan. That's probably the same I'm looking at. On his inner right thigh, does it look yeah, green it does. to you? And the zipatone that he's using for shadow underneath is so um, not right for that. Are you, are you sure that's zipatone? That looks hand drawn. It, lo- it looks like zipatone. Looks for like hand drawn. Looks like hand drawn cross edging. I was just thinking zipatone would work better. Mm. It looks like if it's zipatone, it's very. It's not. It's it's designed very well to look like hand drawn. I, I just didn't like that as the shading or the shadowing there. I don't know if that was Burn or if that was, you know, Keith Williams doing that. And, and yeah, the green there on the inside of the thigh just does not make any sense. Yeah. I think you could have done it from looking where it's at. You could have made that shadow a solid yeah. black. And I think it had a little more weight yeah. to it. Especially in this particular case. Yeah. Especially on, you know, on the uh, sidewalk. But yeah. Oh, what do we know? Burns a hack. <laughs> now the the next page. I don't like the angle of the Daily Planet because it makes me think too much of the uh, Mixipidlic issue where he brought the Daily Planet to life. Yeah, to life. It almost feels like it's curving. I know it's not, but it almost feels like it's curving there, and it's almost like it's getting ready to take a step and walk away. Well, there's not that much detail on that no. panel. It no. looks a little quickly drawn. It's basically just he took his ruler out and drew some lines. But yeah, did you notice how the Daily Planet looks like it's really cluttered? As you get around her desk, it looks yeah, it looks, looks cluttered. There's papers laying on the floors. People are walking by. The trash can is full. Well, there's a book underneath Lois's yeah. or some yeah. under her desk. Some stacked up underneath yep. her desk. I guess that's to show that she's busy and always on the right. move. Right, and then you see the person in the background that's holding the thing up for the copy boy. And I guess yeah, that's... that's... And there's, somebody, there's somebody running by. It looks like her desk. I guess that's her yeah. feet. But, and like the gal back there, is that the gal that was actually living in the, in the storeroom of the Daily Planet? Oh, you got me. I don't know. There was somebody yeah. living in the... I mean, that, that was actually a Jurgen story, I believe, that they, they ultimately did that. But I think Byrne had laid the groundwork for it that, that they get... Because you know, everybody's always commenting that she's always there, you know? Yeah. Now, how about the, the, the outfit and hairstyle that Lois has going here? She's got a, skirt, a short skirt on also, like Maggie Sawyer. She's wearing the high heels. But that jacket, that's like a pure herringbone jacket with a black outfit underneath which you just don't see anymore these days. I like that kind of stuff. Well, he, and he hasn't drawn it, but I'm sure there are some pretty big shoulder pads on that jacket. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Enough for a blonde not to hurt themselves. Oh, well, yeah. I don't know. Okay. 
And Perry, of course, has the Reed Richards hairline. Oh, yeah, that's definitely, that's was certainly the way he drew it when he was doing yeah. that. And I really hate the way he's got the tears coming out on Lois. And this has always been a, a problem in comic books um, with a lot of artists, even George Perez. He had a problem drawing tears coming down people's faces. So it's, 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 it seems to be a common thing that they just have a hard time translating that to the comic book page. Tears. I could see that. But, you know, here she is. Superman's died. And I don't know. The reaction just doesn't seem to be enough. Well, I, as I wrote later, was we find out, well, we already know because I read synopsis. They they almost react like they're in on it, that they know he's not really dead. What's going well, on? But yeah. they don't. They they think he's well, really you, dead. You have to imagine he's been around for five to seven years at this point, and he's been quote unquote killed a number of times. This is just one of those times where you keep hearing it, and unless you're there right there to see it, like she did when he actually did. Well, he didn't actually die. He just went into a really, really long coma that time. But when they thought he was dead, you know, she was right there to see it. And the reaction then seemed more, you know, likely than what you're seeing here. And again, it seems that because when he was killed by Doomsday, he was, for all practical purposes, he was actually killed. Here, it again, it seems like they are in on the ruse. They, they well, he's not really dead, so we're going to kind of, you know, pretend to be emotionally distraught. Maybe they didn't want to. I don't know. This that that was a, again. I agree with you. It's an odd reaction. It's an odd reaction. In the next page, between, I mean, understandably, Black Canary's yeah, upset. He's Batman consoling her. Right, but Batman seems one. I love uh, Black Cow yeah. burn yeah. Batman. I love it. Oh, and this is this is but you know Justice League International area. So this is bad attitude Batman too. This is Batman always in a bad mood. Gardner, shut your eternally flapping mouth. Never a, uh, a a point where he's sitting there being nice to anybody. So this was really out of character for the way they were writing him back then. You know, back then, if this was J.M. Damatias or your Keith Giffen writing it, they'd say, you know, it comes with the job. You just have to expect something like this is going to happen. You shouldn't be surprised. And we all need to be on our guard. Well, more on his, the mischaracterization of Batman here. He seems unsure. He seems, yeah, he's grieving for Superman, but he, but when Canary suggests, should we, should we call on the rest of the Justice League? He's like, well, maybe something, something should be done. This is an indecis- indecisive Batman. He's unsure. Mm-hmm. He seems puzzled. This is not or, Batman. Or either I mean, that or he's the... going, no, he's not dead. I know he's not dead. dead. He, or, yeah. right, well, that, that's it. So is this the, I've got a plan for everything and I know everything's going to happen? You know, is he already talked over with, discussed this with Martian Manhunter? Like, well, if Superman dies, this is what you're going to do. Because he's not really dead. He's in a super coma. And you're going to pretend to be his ghost because there's a villain going to be called Silver Banshee that will probably show up sometime. (laughs) I mean, at one point does Batman become the master thinker? It's it's after this. They don't really start doing, I mean, they actually did that uh, with, because of the Dark Knight Returns. In Dark Knight Returns, Batman beats up Superman. Of course, that again is an Elseworlds, Elseworlds or imaginary tale or whatever you want to call it. It wasn't, you know, in continuity. But after that, every writer that, that handled Batman said, oh, well, Batman can beat anybody if he's got enough time and planning. Um, here, though, you know, he's representative of the Justice League that 
was far different from, you know, the Justice Leagues that we're, you know, accustomed to reading. Now, this page alone, though, has really got some weird stuff going on. Um, looking at this, the Black Canary, her face from one panel to the next is just weird. In the second panel, she looks like that, that woman that sells orange juice that used to be on Allie McBeal. I don't, I'm sure you haven't seen the orange juice commercials because you don't watch regular TV. No. And down in the bottom right, John's eyes, one of them's yellow and the other one's white. Did you catch that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's just gotta be a coloring mistake. And he looks less like John and more like Yertle the Turtle to me. Well, not necessarily Yertle the Turtle, but he's got a turtle, turtleish appearance on his face, like a teenage mutant ninja turtle. Well, they, he's, I don't, I don't know how they're drawing him now, but he's always, he was always drawn with kind of that exaggerated brow. Mm -hmm. Kind of a, but Byrne has a tendency to make Martian Manhunter uh, broader and bigger than the other characters around him. He's always he he just makes him so big, and I really love the way he handles his cape. But I've never been a fan of the Martian Manhunter's costume. Though my first experience with him was DC Comics Presents twenty seven, where Superman kicked the snot out of him on Mars. Well, this is my uh, this was my introduction to Martian Manhunter. I I had no idea who he was, so this was. But doesn't he isn't he supposed to have strength level on par yeah, with Superman? He's pretty close, but I mean, Superman is definitely stronger. I mean, he can fly, he can turn invisible, he's got uh, some sort of vision power, but I don't quite remember what it is. Uh, and of course, he's a shape changer yeah, too. Yeah, he's he's kind of he's like kind of like the Vision in that respect. He can change his. His density or whatever he can, whatever yeah. he can do. Yeah. And then the next he page, we have the Saturday morning <laughs> fall lineup for NBC. Oh, I don't have that. Art, uh, no, I have go that? right from that to LexCore. Oh, no, I've got the, uh, mine must be an actual scan. Mine's the Saturday morning, this fall on NBC. And I don't know who did the artwork, but it is. Is awful. Jabberjaw on there? No, no, he was 10 years old. That's two. We have the menu is we have Disney's Adventures of the Gummy Bears, followed by the Smurfs, then Jim Henson's Fraggle Rock, then Alvin and the Chipmunks, then Alf, the new Archies, something called Foofer. I (laughs) I remember them. Even they had comic books. They even had a comic book line. Foofer. Yeah, I don't know what Foofer. Is it a blue dog? I don't know. There's a blue hound dog on here. Uh, and then I'm telling you one, I'm, te- I'm telling and one to grow on. <laughs> I don't know what the. One to grow uh, on was just like short PSAs, I thought. And that's one to grow on, you know? Yeah. yeah. I don't know who this, oh, this, I gotta get off yeah. this page. Okay, so on the next page, of course, you see LexCore Tower with the lovely cloud face on it. And then you see three women in mini skirts and one woman in long pants. Yeah, one pair. The only pair of slacks in this whole. But all, all the women in miniskirts are in stretched out position. Well, no, no, the one, the the one on the right, not necessarily. Hers is actually kind of falling. Yeah, hers is kind of hers is almost flaring up a little yeah. too much. The one in the purple. Mm-hmm. But she almost looks like a Todd McFarlane character, doesn't she? That yeah. hair does. Yeah. Absolutely, that hair looks like a McFarlane <laughs> hair. And then I love the the sounds. They're almost Batman-y. The way they they got the sounds there where Lex is sitting there tearing up his office. Wham. Wham. <laughs> then he says no. There's crack and cash. No, again. <laughs> Blam. Blam. And then crack. Is that scram? And then scram or scam. Scram, so I think. It looks like scram, yeah. The word balloon blocks it. Smash and then puck. S- puck. 
Well, I got a question about this. Look at the rubble he's mm -hmm. destroying. Does that look like that's just pencil, quick pencil sketches? It, it is really sketchy. There's no detail to it right, at all. Right, and I mean, it's not a, it's not your typical level of burn tech. And then on the next frame, which is supposed to be pretty much the next spot, he's knocking over books and I guess a lamp, candlestick or something. Looks like a doorknob. Oh, yeah, doorknob. Yeah, that's right. It's so bizarre. Well, the... Well, I know, but the, the 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 long middle panel where he's that doesn't look like burn rubble. That no, I think that's that I think that's just, Keith Williams, and that's the background inks. That's yeah, that that didn't look like inks. It looked like he just sketched it and said, "Okay." And the guy you. came in and just did the same thing with ink. He just traced yeah. it. it. I mean, you could say that's that's an artist. He's a tracer. decision, <laughs> but I don't, I don't, I yeah. don't know. I don't think that is. Yeah, it brings me back to you. You mentioned rubble, and it brings me back to the issue of what the where there there had been a big fight, and there's all this rubble about, and you could see the outline of Barbie, Barney Rubble's face in the <laughs> yeah in the in rubble. rubble. <laughs> uh, it's funny, and I love how he it, down in the bottom middle panel where he's got Luther standing there, and his guts just hanging out all over the place. <laughs> now the thing is, is like you'd think that his pants, you know, like like one of the sides of his shirt would be hanging out over the belt. You would see a shirt. Yeah, because he's because he's been sitting there throwing all that stuff around and 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 stretching and and everything. And then of course he falls to the floor and it's not fair. <laughs> so I say he's almost weeping. I guess this is before he lost his hand to Crypto. Yeah, that, that happened right? in in Action Six Hundred. Because that was a that was the story where actually that that's right. Um, they had a story. Gio Giordano did the artwork in it, and Sawyer went to see Lex Luthor for whatever reason. And Luther basically tells her, I know what you are, and one day I'm going to use it against you. And she just basically says, I don't care. And because uh, he basically used uh, another woman walking in front of Maggie Sawyer let, let, to let her know, yeah, I, I, I've got your number. So that was, yeah. oh, excuse me. That was one of those um, where, they, where they addressed that. And I believe it was that Byrne wrote it, but Giordano did the artwork. And then we get to the funeral. Yes. Which, this is a weird time jump, because I don't know how what how much time took place between him dying, the news covering it, to then, then they had to find a, a glass coffin somewhere, or a plexi coffin, assemble this, this uh, funeral, or this visitation. Mm -hmm. It's like he's the Pope all laid out, or he's... But well, uh, if you've read any of the the Golden Age stories where they did the imaginary tale, there's an imaginary tale. What if Lex, you know, basically Lex Luthor killing Superman? Did you ever read that? Luthor yeah. uh, finds Element Z in the prison yard and turns it into a cure for cancer. And he he says, you know, I've turned over a new leaf. I'm a good guy now. I'm here for everybody. And Superman actually gets him paroled. And he, Luther does all these things to help the world and everything. And he and Superman become best buddies. And all these people are trying to kill Luther now because he's a turncoat. And then Luther calls Superman to his special, uh, flying fortress that Superman had created for him. And he traps Superman into a room and subjects him to a kryptonite ray until Superman dies. I mean, he, Superman's skin turns green. You know, it takes it. He doesn't just die quickly. It takes him hours to die. And then, you know, Luther gets away. They leave Superman's body out and they do the thing just like this. But instead of, 
you know, humans and all dignitaries, you got aliens and superheroes and all that stuff. And I don't remember if it was Kurt Swan or Wayne Boring that did the artwork, but I remember the, the aliens looked like a lot of, you know, Kurt Swan's type, which were always in my mind, unimaginative aliens, you know, green with weird ears sticking out in different direction and antenna and whatnot. Oh, that's, you know. That what typical what kind of, the, the, the kind of alien Joe saw whenever the, the Green Lantern went to another planet and they're always yeah. the, yeah. the goofiest. The top panel, the guy, the, somebody's in a wheelchair. Is that supposed to be the guy from Doom Patrol? It could be. Um, it, it, it could be. I, j- I just don't know. Uh, you know, again, there's not enough detail on that. And then, of course, they didn't really color it. They left everybody in this kind of magenta pink color. And like, like if you look at the far right, you got that guy in a real long coat, but not long enough for the 80s. 80s coats went all, all the way down to the ankles, you know, down to the calf. And this coat yeah. goes right down to the knee. And it looks like, it looks almost well, like he's from the 1700s. Cause it's all, it's almost got like a vest like, uh, seam there, but I don't know. Well, the, with the wheelchair, the only, that's the only prominent DC character I can think of that's in, now, this, if this was later, I'd suggest it was probably Oracle. Yeah. But she hasn't been paralyzed no, yet. No, no. So. Yeah, Killing Joke hasn't happened yet. Now, I, was that Steve Dayton that was in the wheelchair? I've, I've never been up on Doom Patrol. I still haven't read the burn. It's Doom the it's it's the analog of Professor yeah. X, but they called him the Professor, I think, something, didn't they? they I don't know. I can't t- tell you his name. I've got some... I've got some Doom Patrol, and I like Doom Patrol, and I've got old Burns Doom Patrol, but I have yet hmm. to read it. Yeah, but yeah, the this this whole segment seems lacking in detail, and of course they put everybody else in black, and Lois looks like a man almost because she's got the real short hair. She's wearing a black suit yeah. with a black tie, and you know it 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 almost be like the that movie Color of Night. Did you ever see that with Bruce Willis? Yeah, Bruce Willis. And the yeah. girl, she'd dress up as a guy, and that's pretty much what she looked like. <laughs> yeah, that fooled everybody. Well, my question on this is, again, they act as if they are in on the charade. They think, oh, he's really not dead, but we're going to pretend that we think that he's dead. Because... You just don't believe it. Maybe they're in denial, but that's that's fine. But they, the, the, again, this weird time jump, because Lois asks Maggie, well, what's been... Is any word on... Clark. On Banshee, and they're like, "Oh, she's just going from store to store, and I guess still killing people." But we're not doing anything about it. Where are the other heroes? Where are where's the Justice yeah. League? Where's any other hero in the DC universe? Superman, to the all to all their best knowledge, he is dead. Why are they not doing anything? Yeah, I, I, to I, I, try to I guess it's it. it's burn her. writing, you know. But he knows that the it golly. And that's, I guess, kind of a mistake on his part to write him in this way. Because, it, it, I mean, we saw the funeral for a friend and all that stuff that happened afterwards, you know, when Superman died. Uh, it was a much bigger ordeal because everybody really accepted it as Superman dying. Whereas this one, it's almost like they don't accept it because they just expect him to stand right back up at some point. And naturally, he does. Right. But even if they're in denial, I, I think... I think that is a weakness of this story. Mm-hmm. That's one of the main main weaknesses of the story. And also, I think this could benefit from being two issues. They could drag this out a little more. They could deal with his death a little more before, because it's basically it's one page. He's dead. Okay, he's in, no, we've got him in a you know a, uh, see through coffin. To get it's all kind of hurried up to get to 
oh, we got to get yeah. to his ghost. Well, I, I guess you'd have to ask, you know, ask the man himself or Mike Carlin or Andy Helfer, you know, what was the deal in the day? Why, you know, and again, they only had, you know, they, they would might do a continuing story, but they wouldn't use the same guest for the continuing story. If you remember when they did that whole thing with the Green Lanterns and the uh, Phantom Stranger with that uh, haunted graveyard story that was done. done just a little yeah, bit and that, to me that felt like because he was doing basically Marvel team-up with Action yeah. Comics, it felt, and because the the restarted DCU was, DCU was new, it felt like he was kind of rushing to introduce all Showcase these... Showcase Right, all these characters that existed previously. Well, we got we got to get them out and show them again. Right. We got to get it much like DC. I think did the new Fifty Two. They had to get up to speed instead of letting it progress naturally and organically. They had to get it up to speed real quick to where they thought it should be. So it's it's we want to get it to where it was before we restarted yeah. it. So I thought they could have. It really would have been nice if they had started it in action and then finished it. And yeah, and they just weren't doing that at this point. I mean, he was right. I know this has to be a yeah, one and done, and that's what happened there. He could have, um, well, maybe he could, maybe he had to do a one and done. But I think, I think with some tweaking, you could have tightened this story yeah. up. I will say the hair looks really good on this page, <laughs> though. Oh, though the, him in the well, coffin there at the bottom of the page as the ghost is coming out, it almost looks like mm -hmm. him with his. He didn't have a mullet. So to speak, but it nope. sure does look like him nope. with long hair there. Don't say the M word, Michael. I know. Bailey. Like I said, he didn't have a mullet. I, I never thought he had a mullet. I just thought he had long hair. No, it's just it, he had. Uh, well, the best analogy I mean, he had Kurt Russell hair. You think of the '80s when Kurt Russell had. Well, even What's now, it? Kurt Russell's got a great the late hair. season Brady it's Bunch a mullet. hair, maybe. <laughs> maybe, yeah. It's just it's just long. It was just long, full yeah. hair. It wasn't. It wasn't a. Now Billy Ray Cyrus. Yeah. That's a mullet. Oh yeah. That's not Superman. Did not right, have that. Right. Business in the front, party in the back. That's right. All right. Well, so the ghost is coming out of him, and it just it just seems wrong to me that it's all white. I, I know it's supposed to be a, you know ethereal and all that, but there's something just not right about it. And it felt that way for the rest of the story as, as you know, we get the ghost like this. Well, there's not, I think that's just that, there's not too many ways you can portray it. You can either do, do him as, as well, uh, see, dotted lines, like the invisible woman was done. Originally. Well, the, the, the thing is, is that prior to the reboot, prior to crisis, whenever you had someone that was white ghostly like this, that meant that nobody could see them, that they were, uh, out, you know, like, like if Superman traveled to a period in time where he already existed, he would come back as this kind of ethereal ghost, like you're in the Phantom Zone. And nobody could see them, nobody could hear them, they couldn't right. affect anything. Right. He could only observe. But, uh, they, they broke that convention a lot. In fact, Alan Moore broke it in the, the, the last Superman story, you know. But, uh, again, so I guess that's what, you know, throws me off is I still had that, that, Silver Age mentality of you know all that all that kind of stuff or Bronze Age, yeah, you because know, it is even in the Bronze Age some. Though there's a lot of dispute about whether when the Bronze Age started for DC if there even was a Bronze Age. Yeah, that was I actually wrote into that on Back to the Bends. I discussed that if there was a whether a Bronze Age story is based on chronology or tone of the of the story. Yeah, I'd have to say tone. Well, for DC, they said that was more the DC, and they say DC never really had a 
a true Bronze Age. They went straight from kind of Silver Age to uh, Modern Age, but yeah, I think he could have been if you could have drawn him a little more opaque, possibly, because here he doesn't really look see through. Right. I mean, you don't see that much of the church. I guess that that's a church behind mm-hmm. him, the cathedral. Yeah, but no, I got to say but, the backgrounds here are just gorgeous. And I don't know if that was Byrne or yeah, I, I'm sure, pretty sure Byrne did all that, and then Williams went and inked it all in. And went in because that's yeah. that's just beautiful. I mean, but that's that stuff that you see in comics looks really cool, but you'll never ever see in real life. Well, that looks like, yeah, and and what's I just not noticed? It looks like Maggie's has no pupils. She looks blind. She looks like Alicia Matthews. <laughs> to me, that her expression just doesn't look right. It's almost cockeyed. Like one eye is looking one way and the other eye is looking another. Yeah, like I said, she almost she almost has little any uh little orphan yeah. Annie eyes. <laughs> but I, I will say that in this panel and all the splash yeah. pages in this book, this one and the one where she actually kills him, he's playing with low yep. angles. Or playing with angles. And this one he's playing with a low angle, which gives it a more of a kind of a, a surreal, uneasy Yeah, this is a page I wouldn't mind owning the original to, you know. But you can't find stuff like this uh, anymore, and you definitely can't find it for cheap. But it almost, if I was to get a commission for of Superman, it would be something similar to this. But I still would rather, well, I mean, a commission's going to be in black and white. You're not going to get it colored. Would you do, if you if you had a blank check and could get, say, an 8.5 by 11, only one burn commission, would it be Superman? No. No, and I, and you know that's something I've gone back and forth on. If if it, if I were to get a Superman, it would probably be a scene like this. But um, say so he's done. He's going to do a character. It's not a scene. He's going to do one character. Yeah, I, and and that's something I, I'd almost I almost feel like I wanted to do Wonder Man in the safari jacket because <laughs> I think he drew him like that better than anyone. George Perez was pretty good, but his was really really cool. Okay, so here we are on page 16, and there's Silver Banshee, and somehow she's thrown 30 books around the room all at once. Um, now, they haven't shown anything that says to me that she's got any kind of super strength. I mean, we know she's got some form of invulnerability, but, you know, there's nothing that, there's nothing that said she's got some kind of super strength. But to be able to do what she's done here, you'd have to have some sort of super ability. Well, it's not revealed in this issue, but the next one she does say she has a strength of a hundred yeah. men. And I why think. does Jimmy Olsen look like Ethel Merman? What is Jimmy Olsen doing there? He's an idiot. What's he? Th- <laughs> I know he's supposed to be the the young, uh, hungry reporter, or who here is he? Not even got his camera with yeah. him. Yeah, no, he. Why does he not have his camera? Because he him? wants to be a reporter, not a photographer. Yeah, but I mean, this is just foolhardy on his part. He should be dead. Because she, I mean, yeah. she's sitting there saying Superman's not here to save you this time, and unfortunately, the ghost comes through and saves him. Now, I don't know if you've been to New York, but those ceiling panels are just like a lot of the ceilings in the old buildings in New York. So I was like, really, yep. oh, that's cool. So that's definitely bringing my art history. It's known as coffering. It's those uh, ah. beat aluminum or not aluminum, like copper mm-hmm. panels. You can buy faux ones at Home Depot to put places, but that's what it's called, coffering. Yeah. Now, did you notice that in, in this page and the next couple pages, and even going back to that big splash page, it seems like he uh, had a lot less story than he wanted to tell. And so he made the panels pretty big and moved the story along pretty quick. He was it, he does kind of wrap this up pretty quick. Again, he he probably does have to. It, this seemed like he had kind of an idea of a new mm-hmm. villain, and 
could use that villain to do a, a, you know, a kind of a, I don't want to tell it the cash grab either, but it's a it's that kind of cover that's that's to tempt somebody to buy mm-hmm. it. Oh, Superman's dead. I'll buy that. Yeah. And then so he had to work that kind of gimmick into the right. story. Right. Now this next page, of course, is the ghost uh, sitting there, and and she's ta- using her voice on it, and it doesn't kill him, but it definitely hurts him. And there's something out of proportion about the body there. Superman's yeah. body. Yeah. His right hand seems looks a little. Yeah, that definitely. Yeah, his pinky is all curved. And I mean, I, I think I can understand what he's trying to do. He's trying to make him look pained because your 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 you know your joints and all that are all curved. And again, knowing what we know, um, there's nothing wrong with his fingers curving. No. But the body proportions, you know, around his waist just seem a little off. His his waist seems yeah. a little high. Now, and then yeah. one of one of my own little personal gripes about comic book artists. And superheroes in the tights is for some reason they seem to think that the male superheroes have no junk. Well, I think <laughs> I'm sorry. I think they're I think they're aware of the uh, male anatomy. They're just deciding not to well, not to highlight it. it. And I can understand you don't want to no. highlight it, but at the same time, Superman, Green Lantern, and Nightwing are by far the 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 ones where we see it the most. Where it just seems like they say no, they got no junk. They're like a Ken doll. That one. What do you all think? I, 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 you know, this is one of those things where it's like, do you really want to think about this or talk about this? But at the same time, you know, there it is. What do you all think? I, I really would like to hear what you guys have to say about that. Or if you don't want to talk about it, just say, I don't want to talk about it. That, that'll be enough. If, if we hear that. You're, you're going to get some letters for that. <laughs> or probably just a Facebook comment is, is what we'll more likely get. And I don't mind that. Just any comment along the way. Let us know what you think in that. Now, disentitle, disentitle your email. Super junk. <laughs> yes. Okay. That'll, that'll work. And so the ghost passes through the Silver Banshee and it actually causes her discomfort. And I know, like, in on the Marvel side, you know, Vision could sit there and pass through someone and cause them discomfort by altering his density. And I guess that's what's happening that's here. I don't know. I mean, it's, it, to me, one, I love the expression of her face. She really looks scared and kind of frightened. Pain. It seems more that that shouldn't, he shouldn't have the ability to do that. It's not that, I don't think she's in pain, and it's never explained. She says, no one, no one can do that. But why? I wrote that in my notes. Why can no one pass through her? What? What? Yeah. What? You know, is she made out of adamantium or what? <laughs> I mean, what? Or vibranium? Whatever one that she can't yeah, pass through. Yeah. Or is it, is it her costume? But we'll never get an answer to that. Yeah, and maybe that's revealed later, in um, when her history is you know filled yeah. in more. Now you remember I told you about my pipe, the Mearsham pipe I had made. Yeah, the one I've seen on Facebook. Yeah, he posted that. This shot here of him, white. That, you know, in this next this second panel there, I actually had bought multiple copies of this issue just so I could cut, cut one up. And that was one of the frames that I showed to them. Saying, That's the one you showed to the guy that carved yeah. it for you? I, I should have got my money back, shouldn't I? <laughs> no, I think it, it's just his artistic style. I think actually you've got a very – one, I don't, I don't know how you would – if you wanted to look like a burned Superman, I don't know if he could have done that. I, but. Yeah, the way I looked at it was they thought it was kiddie stuff. They didn't want to do it. Um, and I paid to them a lot of money. It was $35 for me. 
but back in 1980, $35 to them was like getting a, you know, about $500, you know, to us at that, that point. But in time. you've got a, a one of a, you've got a one of a kind piece. It is, of, yeah, it is one of a art, kind. So. Nobody else has got anything like it and they won't do it now. You, you can't get them to do it after the, when they did this one. And, uh, the guy actually got into a car wreck and broke his arm and he, and he had to, to wait a couple months before he could finish it. Um, they definitely, and, and he was a newer artist. The, the older artist just wouldn't have anything to do with it. Cause that's why it's not autographed. The older artists autograph all their work. The newer artists, they don't do it until, you know, they're well known for uh, having good, you know, skills. But, oh, yeah. uh, you know, again, I, I love the thing. I think it's cool. It's one of a kind. But, uh, yeah, this is one of those things that I use because I figured having it in white would give them the right perspective to be able to uh, carve it. Oh. Well, I probably, if he's carved faces before, he's probably going to carve that same kind of mm -hmm. face that he's always carved in whatever type of pipe he's making or whatever kind of sculpture he's making. So, like, like if you were to tell Byrne to draw... Whatever, tell him to draw you. He maybe may tend to draw you the way he draws his faces. So yeah, and I understand that. Like that's just that's just the that's just I think that's just the artist is gonna right. draw. They're gonna you know draw their skill level. Yeah, and they they def I mean they definitely made it more cherubic. That's what someone pointed out to me on uh, Burns' website. So I put it on. Yeah. All right. Well, going on. It, it's so cool yeah. Vibe. So in, thanks. In this next panel, she's being squished by eggs. <laughs> And it's making her breast point in two different directions. <laughs> well, that's a that's a kind of I've seen that pose from Burn that the shoulders yeah. back, yeah. kind of anguished head back, kind of flared. Uh, so yes, the she is. But I will say this: he didn't draw her overly buxom. Yeah. She's not. Yeah. She's not. You know, about to pop out of her costume. So yeah. And then I guess the fact that the scream doesn't affect Jimmy lets us. You know, the, again. It, Seem Byrne didn't have a clear idea of what her powers. It's a kind of an interesting idea that she she can only kill again. Going back to the Star Trek episode, she can only kill the person she's planning yeah. on killing. So if she's yeah. going to kill you, then her voice is not going to affect anybody around her. That's what. That's also her weakness, which is, I think, a weak weakness. But yeah, because how was she able to kill the first guy that was wearing the helmet? She couldn't see him. She didn't know his name unless she read it on his, you know, badge or name tag or whatever he had on. She, how was that's, she able to kill him? That's, that's a oh, you just poked a hole in this right. whole story. That's a that's a great observation because she didn't see his mm -hmm. face. So if it's all done on visual cues for you know at least a facial recognition, she should still be able to kill Martian Manhunter. Or maybe not, but maybe it doesn't work with the visual cue yeah, thing. So it's, I think, yeah, I think you just kind of blew this this thing wide open. But yeah, but it, again, based on the way that her power is supposed to work, Jimmy shouldn't be too hurt. At least he shouldn't die no, by the he, effect of, of her scream because she is trying no. to kill Superman. Unless it's just a sonic. She, I think she's proven this later. She's got like a sonic scream, and he he may be bleeding out the mm -hmm. ears. But he may be deaf. But he yeah, because he says he probably deafening, slicing into me like knives. But it doesn't yeah. seem to be harming me, and yeah, usually when when you're something feels like it's slicing into you like nice, it is harming you. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then the next page, uh, Ghost basically says, "Uh, uh you can't do it. That's the best you can do." Uh, -uh. and gets yes. her to quit, and she just screams so much and so loud that she's got concentric circles coming out of her, and Superman and and 
or the ghost that is and Jimmy Olsen look like I don't I don't know how to describe that pink hot dogs <laughs> well it's it's like he's taken the the shading out and kind of reversed it out so that what would be black is white in this yeah, circle are showing yeah. through it so it's just a, I think it's just audible a, distortion just a cool of, audible distortion of light exactly that's probably what it is because not so much in Superman but on Jimmy you can tell his leg it looks almost like ripples yeah. in water so it's probably she is pumping out so much. Well, again, this would probably Jimmy would be deaf for sure because of this. Yeah. But yeah. he ruptures eardrums. But and some we haven't we haven't brought up when she's using her voice. Byrne has done an effect of drawing like a pink box, extra box around with jagged jagged edges around the word balloon. The yeah. word balloon to show that's when she's using her her banshee right. voice or whatever, you know, whatever she were going to call it, her banshee power. And so you're that. seeing that pink all over them there. Yeah. And she blows out, blows out the windows and then suddenly it's exposition time. Yes. Let's, let's yeah. wrap this story up and tell us how Superman, the real Superman going. picking up Jimmy and the ghost revealing himself to be John Jones, a Martian. John Jones. Is it Johns or Jones? Jones? I always thought it was Jones. I thought it was Jones. Well, maybe it is John Jones. Maybe others John Maybe it is John Jones. Okay, who's going to correct us? Someone tell us right now. Somebody's yeah. going to. And we'll, we'll see what we come up with. Now, Jimmy's surprised <laughs> face in, in the two panels there is really, really good. But he looks a lot like Archie in that bottom left pa- panel. Well, he's probably, I bet he is drawn. Oh, we're talking about the bottom, bottom left panel. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah. He is drawn to look. With the freckles on his face, he probably consciously burns drawing him to look like Archie. <laughs> Archie, yeah. And then, of course, the the ghost turns into John Jones and Manhunter from Mars. And then, yes, the next page is so full of thought balloons. There's more. Th- the th- thought balloons take up over half the page, half the whole page, of them espousing on what was going on and what they found uh, out. And the book came from Castle Broen in <clears throat> Ireland. And ugh. <laughs> I, I said it was like a Scooby Doo ending. It's and to me, Burn has done this. This yeah, is a typical typical Burn <clears throat> ending for him, right? It's it's I'm going to give you a premise, and and give you something that's maybe shocking, and then by the time the end comes, I'm going to wrap it up. And what you thought was yeah, wrong. Did you ever? It's all. Did nope. you ever read the Harry Potter books? Yeah, I've read all the Harry. The Half Blood Prince. It had that. It had a Burn ending. You know, after. Uh, no, when you find out about Professor Snape. Yeah, when you find out about Snape and everybody's yeah. comparing notes and everybody's talking about what happened. Yeah. And it's it's just like this. And uh, that's what I was thinking of when I was reading that at the time. Well, in his in his run, Superman would often do that. He he it you know, he open, there's a villain, him and Superman fight, Superman defeats the villain, and then Superman well let me explain how I defeated yeah. him. I noticed, you know, he had this weakness, so I did this. I defeated him. Uh, isn't everything great? Let's you know. Let's go to the next issue. I'll defeat the next bad guy. So, yeah, it does. Uh, it does seem like it, this. This whole issue, like I said, the story is the weakest part of it. The artwork, I think, is is gorgeous. But he had, a, I think, a weak story, and he had a new villain he wanted to introduce. Yeah. And he maybe if it had been two issues, he could have fleshed it out a little more, and we wouldn't. We could maybe some of this exposition we could have been sprinkled in more along the yeah. way. Instead of having to have this dump at the end where everything is just given and to us. And then the last page, just it's probably the weakest start of the whole book. Yeah, it almost doesn't look burned. The, the face at the bottom doesn't really look like burned. Yeah, it almost has a Rubenstein ink to it. But the top panel, 
okay, that I've, I've seen before. Not necessarily that exact same one, but I've seen that. And that's, okay, that's a burn frame. But the, the middle two yeah. frames, it's almost like burn just put in a minor layout and said, go ahead and fill in the, the burn tech. He probably did some quick breakdowns. Yeah. And, 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 and then and then you got your silhouettes down there, five different characters in silhouette, and they finally get revealed to be in Manhunter guys. Yeah. Lana, Lana Lang uh, is one of them. And this is one of the the things that just ticked me off. Millennium to me was just the worst thought out uh event thing because it retconned every single character's history to have this Manhunter history added into it. And we never got any kind of hint from any of those, even from, you know, the end of crisis to the beginning of, you know, the, the universe as it was being presented and all the characters that were presented, they didn't, you know, they thought this up after the fact and it's obvious. And it just, they completely, I was uninterested in millennium from that point and didn't really care for it. Now I still bought the, the Superman, you the, buy all the of Superman. Them? I, I had them. But I actually um, got rid of them recently in my uh, quarter comic book sale. Uh, <laughs> um, I I had the Millennium issues only of the books I was right. reading, so I didn't read the whole. It, did it have its own mini? Yeah, it had itself, an, it had like an nine- eight issue mini. And those are the ones I sold recently. Right. I didn't sell any of the the Superman books, and I actually like the the Superman books on on their own. The the, the action comics of Green Lantern. I think it was an action comics. That had the Green Lantern, where, Maybe, where Superman and Green Lantern were were flying through that other space. Who who wrote Millennium? Did the art was the Steve artwork? Englehart, I believe. Uh, I thought he wrote it, but who did the Just art? Brent Blevins. No, Staten. Staten. That's yeah. it. Okay, that's it. That's why. That's why I think I did. I'd have all the Millennium because I was coming off his Green Lantern run. See, I loved his Green Lantern run, but. When- and that's why I jumped on the Millennium because I liked his art yeah, style. Yeah, his art style in Millennium, I really, really didn't like. And of course, when he was doing Green Lantern, he was being inked by someone there that was doing more of a, I think, a house style. And they kind of took a lot of Staten's flair away. I mean, you look at his Charlton work or whatever, like E-Man or anything like that, and then you look at his Green Lantern work, and there was a big difference there. That that was my first introduction to Staten was his E-Man hmm. work. Because I collected a lot of the early, like I've got E-Man number so one. So you got to see the Raj 2000 stuff. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember it, but I, I've got a lot of the uh, the early yeah. stuff. See, I, I, I'd never caught E-Man. on to any of that until years later in a half price bookstore. I came across a Raj 2000 book, and I wanted to buy it, and I didn't have enough money on me. I was getting something for a girlfriend at the time. I know it sucks. Women, they ruin yeah. everything. Well, I think we beat this issue into the ground. Yeah, well, I've got one more. My, I told you I had two pieces okay. of trivia. The very last, not the very last page, but the page where at the bottom where Perry's basically saying, okay, and I thought when he says, well, I guess that's a satisfactory explanation. At least that'll do. That's all we're going to get. I thought he was kind of speaking for the reader, basically saying, well, if that's all you're going to give us, burn. That's what we'll take. You know, you know, and, and that's a, a big fallacy there because let's look at the progression of this. Okay, Silver Banshee comes along, tears apart a bookstore, kills people. She kills Superman and, or, uh, yeah, no, no, before she kills Superman, she actually, she doesn't, she pull her disappearing act once? Not no, here, no, no, that's just it. After he's dead, we don't, we don't know what happens. They yeah, just that's she's right. She's continually left. going to bookstores. And then, but the thing is, is that she does her disappearing act and they're like, okay, we're done. They're not like, 
okay, we'll wait for her to come to the next bookstore. No, they they think she's dead. They think she is. Yeah, uh, but in the next one, that's what the Superman one, says. That's right. In the next one, she does the same thing where she disappears. They find out she can teleport somehow through sound waves. Oh, something. look at this on the letters page. They've got an ad for Millennium, and they've got three shots that are, look like they're burned, drawn, and inked, but they're so thick and so muddy. Oh, yeah, those look like they were. They look like they were inked with a sharpie. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was he'd drawn it on something very small, and they had to blow it up. Blow it up. That, that's that. Yeah, your resolution is going to lose. You're going to lose your resolution yeah. there. No, my little b- trivia buzz. I what Perry at the bottom he says. Um, at least we put the thirty to Silver Banshee, and I thought, what does that yeah. mean? Yeah. So I looked it up, and apparently, thirty is an old Editorial. newspaper yeah. newspaper um, term used to mean that they that r- reporters would put that at the end of their mm-hmm. article, meaning it's over. They would put thirty, and that means. Uh, it's finished, it's uh, completed something, or it's put an end to something. So basically he's saying, well, at least we put the end to Silver Banshee. So that, yeah, that's, that's to me, that's kind of Burns showing off a little bit. Like, hey, look what I know, and I'm going to use this obscure newspaper. Well, that's a, and it's a term Perry White yeah. would use. Yeah. And back then it wasn't so obscure. No, no, because they actually had yeah. newspapers that actually printed and, and were delivered in. I get I get a newspaper delivered to my house about every third day. The Keller Gazette. I call it the Keller Yeller. And I never <laughs> read it because it's just always local stuff that just doesn't interest me. And some coupons, but it doesn't have the comics or funnies in it. It does. They don't have a Sunday issue with the funnies and all that and Parade magazine yeah. and whatnot. So I'm just kind of like, Ugh, you know. And I throw it away. And I tell them, you know, I don't need this. But they keep throwing out to everybody on the block. Uh, we don't. I haven't got a newspaper, and I've never had a newspaper. Right, really. and they don't sell subscriptions. It's just they throw it out. Yeah, well, they just they want you. I guess it's yeah. free. You can use it to start your fire, yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Or put it in your compost. All right. Anything else? You had a second right, minute uh, of trivia? Or? No, that was, that was it. That was just my. I knew. I the you know my two bits were that that I discovered what that meant, and the fact that I knew that her. Her basic or makeup design came from some Italian film he saw when he was in college. Oh yeah, and that's, that's you already, already revealed yeah. that. But overall, my overall is that the artwork's great. I think the story is weak. Uh, it was it's kind of more of a gimmick to kind of show off John Johns and just introduce this new character. So I know Byrne is a better writer than this. So maybe his focus was more on the Superman, the Superman, you know, his proper story yeah. or issue storyline, but. Well, I think it was a case of him not getting everything he wanted when he was when he was doing this, and him, yeah. you know, kowtowing to what the the editorial staff was having him do, and he was getting a little discontent on that. And, and then, of course, they switch everything around, they change the format of action comics, and boom, it's all different again. Yeah, I mean, this is the best he could have done if this had to be a one and done. Yeah, yeah. So, and it's always and it's always pretty to look at. Yeah. Now they did. Um, no, it wasn't in this. It was in the other Superman issue where they were leading up to Action 600 and the uh, team-up of John Byrne and George Perez and Art and Inks. Now, uh, and, and if anybody can answer this question for me, this is something, you know, I frequent the Byrne website a lot, and I look at a lot of the, the artwork in the gallery. And if I see something that I think is topical or interesting, particularly well done, I'll go ahead and post it on Facebook in the Two True Freaks um, feed. And... I came across some art that was John Byrne and George Perez, but it was the X-Men. And I'm like, where and when was that ever published? 
And if anybody could tell me, I'd really appreciate it because I keep looking for it, but it's so hard to, to search for John Byrne and George Perez without just getting individual stuff on them, whatever. It's hard to, to hard right. to find, hard to do a Google search or, you know, Metacrawler or any other search engine that's going to give you something that shows the two of them working together aside from Action 600. Yeah, sure. Somebody yeah. knows. Somebody will probably set you straight. But I thought that was really cool. Um, all right. I think we can, uh, I think we can put this to yeah. bed. We can put the 30 on this and issue. And I think this, we'll, uh, we'll um, bypass the, the letters right now since we kind of have a, a, an abbreviated schedule coming up within the next few weeks. Yeah, we've got some emails, but we can hold off. Now, we do. This will be our normal October uh, episode, but we do have a special Halloween one we're going to do and put out on Halloween. So <laughs> look for it. Look to that. We're not going to tell you what it is. It'll be a surprise. Blah. But we may uh, we may do some emails there. I know we have a new uh, I think we have a new iTunes review, and mm-hmm. we've got several emails. Yes. And I think we so have an old we'll email those. that we need to go back to from Kirk Brown. We do. I've looked. Uh, the one I thought we had not read, I think we have read. But we can we can sort all that out. Okay. I mean, we're not trying to skip anybody. Yeah. We, don't, we don't want anybody to think that we're not getting their emails. It's just sometimes we tend to we can't seem to put out anything less than a two hour show. So. This one um, looks like it's going to be three hours. <laughs> three hours. Well, I cut it down. All okay. the all the dog barking and stuff. I cut it down. Yeah. But, all right. Yeah. I think two hours is, is about a good festival. Well, anyway, thanks a lot, so, Tim. And I guess uh, have a great week. You too. And uh, we'll everybody else will look forward to our special Halloween episode. And then uh, November we have a, a special guest coming on to talk of some uh, some She Hulk. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. Please be sure to write to us, whether you send us an email at our gotta get burned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. We'll also take an iTunes review. We'd love to get iTunes review. We've only got three so far, but it looks like the shows are hitting good on the popularity. So if you could send us something there, uh, that would be great. Also, if you want to reach out to us on Facebook, we're, we're available there. And, of course, if you ever buy anything on Amazon.com, please use the link on the Two True Freaks website. They get a little cut of what you spend, but it doesn't cost you anything. Did I get everything? Right. And I, I recently bought, uh, went to Amazon last couple weeks, and I twice. I uh, Each time I went through the Two True Freaks uh, link, and I noticed that Honeywell occasionally will post stuff. He doesn't know who bought what, but he gets to see what they yeah. buy. And he posts that sometimes on Facebook to see the kind of stuff that the fans are buying. So I think that's. He didn't fun. post the underwear. Oh no no no! I, I'm, I'm the Superman that stuff because he. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That was for my son. Sure, that's why he. That's why he got in in a three X, yeah. right? <laughs> All right. Well, hey, thanks a lot. Take care for uh, third degree burn. My name is Brian Hughes. Thank you. And I'm Tim Elliott. And thank you. Good night. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gotta get burned at gmail.com.
That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. If you're interested in any of the books we cover in the show, just head over to tutufreaks.com and use the Amazon link to shop. This doesn't cost any extra, but it really helps support the shows. Until next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. You diseased maniac. Do you really think you could hide it from me by encasing it in lead? I'll mold this box into your prison bars. Don't touch that.